This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. This is how it's always been. I'm on the outside looking in. Welcome to Double Love, the podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. I'm Anna Carey. I'm Karen Moynihan. And it's here, you guys. It is the uh, social event of the Sweet Valley season. Uh, It's been arranged on very short notice. (laughs) (laughs) It's the thing that happens like at the very end of the book again. So it's like so much other stuff happens other than this. But it's like, oh, this is the main event. And yeah, it's not really. (laughs) It really isn't. But uh, it is the wedding. I mean, it seems very ill-advised it's as so a wedding. Ru- everything is so rushed. It's gas. Yeah, I look, whoever the planners are in Sweet Valley, <laughs> they can turn around a wedding like in absolutely oh. no length. It's like two days notice, is it? Yeah, grand, we've got this. <laughs> like, Giant showbiz affair with caterers mm-hmm. and fairy lights. Don't worry. Yeah. You you plebs might take like six months <laughs> or two or a year to organise your wedding. Not us. Oh, God. Nope. They've got this shit locked down. Well, I guess they have one very special member of the catering team. (laughs) But we'll say no more. And instead, we will dive right in with taglines and blurbs. I mean, I keep saying taglines, even though now we only have one. One, yeah. Solitary tagline. But pour it out for the tagline (laughs) on the cover. (laughs) But the, the, uh, the only tagline is... Can romance save Sweet Valley? <laughs> I mean, as usual, etc., etc., etc. Oh, no, it cannot. Nothing can save this fucking town. <laughs> it would take a lot more than romance. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Right. Now let's we get into our our big our big blurb. So uh, do it. And it, you know, it already feels like we've kind of streamlined things somewhat. We've dropped some dead weight. We're kind of getting mm-hmm. into the the important stuff now. So we have kind of three major threads as far as this book is concerned on the back. I'm so relieved that Bruce and Pamela oh, stuff has Fucking it? hell. Thank you so much that we are done with that. <laughs> Almost too abruptly. I guess they're like together you know, now. I guess. Like, did he ever actually properly apologize? I know he was just like, oh, I'm sorry. And like crying into her hair in the last one. But anyway, okay. <laughs> we won't give them any more of our time. We've spent too much with those fuckers already. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Lila Fowler finally has the family that she always wanted, a father and a mother who love her. And she can tell that despite their years apart, her parents still love each other. Now all all Lila wants is to get them back together. And what Lila wants, Lila gets. (gasps) (laughs) She sure does. Good good for you, Lila. (laughs) I guess. Her methods are slightly questionable, (laughs) but look. Also, I really think that this is a case where pre-marriage counselling would be a good idea, but (laughs) I'm not in Sweet Valley, where where they do things very differently. Uh, Please continue. (laughs) Todd Wilkins can't keep pretending he's interested in Jessica Wakefield. (laughs) Holy mother of God. Especially when he's still in love with Elizabeth. But can Elizabeth ever forgive his betrayal? I mean, I know she will, but I hope she doesn't. She shouldn't, like. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Margot has seen the Wakefield twins and the new life that could be hers. The only thing standing between Margot and her dream is murder. Yes. Oh, Margot. She is on top form in this book. Holy shit. It's so good. Oh, my God. She has no fucking chill in this book. Negative (laughs) chill. She just she is holding on by a thread at all times. And it is sensational. Oh, also our kind of final little bit then quite funnily so it's like the fifth title in an explosive seven part mini series Sweet Valley will never be the same so it's like up until now it's been a six part mini series and it's Ooh. like now they're like shit lads better make it seven part we have not wrapped this up yet properly <laughs> oh my god I didn't even notice yeah that. so the whole winging it vibe is really coming through here in the tagline I must say well now I feel like the last book was given out I mean there were so many inconsistencies which we discussed in mm. the last episode and I think that was just handed out to some uh, some rookie who was really not up to the job and <laughs> Francine was like do you know what we're gonna have to it's gonna take a whole other book to repair the oh, the God. damage you have done with your dropped <laughs> threads and your <laughs> Liz feeling guilty about Todd bollocks seriously yeah or I think some I think a listener did suggest that maybe they were like written at the same time they were just like thrown an outline and kind of just had to get the books out I don't know yeah something weird was afoot anyway that much is for sure (laughs) don't worry listeners the good ghostwriter well I don't know if it's exactly the same one but Mm. let's just say a favorite character returns Mm. though um, before we get on to that can you describe the cover please because it's uh it's quite something it certainly is, yes. We <laughs> back in collage land, so we have uh, the twins floating ominously above above all, uh, <laughs> as they are wont to do in this. Town. <laughs> I mean, it's and only it's, fitting. It's. I mean, yeah. Where else are they going to be? Um, so yeah, the kind of at the forefront, I guess, of this cover, we have the wedding. So it's it's George and Grace uh, standing. Well, near a planter of some sort, uh, but I guess there's an officiant or a priest somewhere out of shot. Um, so George is wearing his uh, tuxedo. There's like a white flower on his lapel. Mm. He looks, uh, and I must credit, uh, lost in history on Twitter for this at Gotham Oracle, because this man is the absolute image of George Hamilton from Dynasty. Uh, like It's shocking when you see this, when you are told this. <laughs> And then even just do a Google image search for George Hamilton and put them side by side. It is uncanny. Shocking. That is whose face that is. 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We can't really see, we can't see Grace's face at all because her back is to the viewer. So we can just see uh, she's wearing a wedding dress. Uh, It's got kind of elbow length sleeves. She has a long veil. Uh, Her hair is quite blonde, although she's meant to be more like a light brown kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It also feels odd that they missed the opportunity to show her, seeing as we are told repeatedly and mm. ad nauseum in the book that she's like the most beautiful woman anyone's <laughs> ever seen. Like anyone ever. And this is in Sweet Valley, a <gasps> town renowned for its hot people. And yet Grace oh. is apparently head and shoulders above all these other basic bitches. Uh, but yeah, no no face for Grace in this one anyway. Mm. Uh, and then over to the side, as her bridesmaid, we have... I guess Lila, even though this is not our Lila, because oh. this is an entirely different person who has previously been Lila on the book covers. It's true. Like, and also her dress, the dress is is very specifically described in the book. 
Mm. And this is not it. No, it is not. Uh, I mean, you know, it is it is a 90s bridesmaid dress. You have to give it that. It's mm, uh, It's got the kind of slightly boxy shoulders. Uh, it's pink. It's kind of, is it like a wrap kind of dress? It looks like a wrap dress, yeah. It's, it's sort got of... that kind of feel to the front of it anyway, yeah. Um, you know, she has a lovely long brown lila hair, uh, but and like this is a very good looking woman. It's she just, looks lovely. She does. She looks very lovely, but she also does not look like she's a 16 year old and she does not look like Lila. Oh, no, she <laughs> looks at least 35. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, they're not the only people on the cover, are they? Well, no, <laughs> thankfully, it just keeps giving. So. <laughs> so we also have and again, we love when this happens, when there's like a scene from the books that's directly on the cover. Uh, so this time we've got Jessica next to <laughs> Mystery Guy. <laughs> so they're at the dirt track because we can see in the background there's like the racetrack and riders on their bikes uh, speeding past on a corner. Uh, so Jess is in front of this holding a helmet uh, and it's... <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> it is so early in the episode for that one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm giddy. <laughs> We just can't wait to get to Margot's stuff, so we're just, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so she's standing next to a guy who he we will learn more about. Uh, he, look, I don't know, random dude. He's wearing, I guess, a leather jacket, a white t-shirt, jeans. Oh, he is actually holding a trophy aloft. Uh, oh, yeah, so it is, so it, is. it is the guy we are assuming. <laughs> um, we can't spoil his name because it's so funny when it's revealed. Yeah, it's so yeah I think I think we should keep it. Yeah. So yeah. so for now he's mystery man holding yeah. a trophy. Uh Jess is looking delighted with herself. Uh has that imperious chin tilted up, uh very smugly looking to camera. So you know she's back on form for this picture at least. Oh she <laughs> sure is. Jesus. Yeah. She's in her, she, her black mini skirt and some kind of a long sleeve top. She's kind of, it's kind of like a, a smaller picture now than the kind of main event on the book. So it, it, there's not as much detail going on with it, but, uh, but she's looking pleased with herself. This guy looks delighted. And uh, yeah, I cannot <laughs> wait to get stuck into more details about this whole situation. <laughs> well, readers or readers, listeners, we will not keep you in suspense for a moment longer. We will dive right into the story. And we begin at Fowler Crest, where Lila's hosting a party for Grace. And all their friends are uh, are gushing about how great Lila looks and about how amazing Grace, allegedly, if you ask me, is. <laughs> Uh, Lila feels like her old self. She's uh, she's dressed now. We won't spoil it now, but let's just say she's wearing something that shows she is truly her old self. Oh, very much so. Yes, she is. She is back to full capacity. Fowler <laughs> times. Yeah, no, this is a very classic Lila outfit, and I was delighted to see it. <laughs> well, everybody is banging on about you know about Grace. Uh, Annie says that Grace is gorgeous and we're told that was a real compliment coming from Annie whose mother, Mona Whitman, had once been a supermodel. I mean, that's a lie. Yeah, she's a catalogue model. Like, I mean, you know, no disrespect to Mona, but supermodel yeah. is its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in the early 90s. Like. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Lila is, uh, is ecstatic and says that Grace is more wonderful than I've ever dreamed. And we get a reminder that her, you know, she was a poor little rich girl and mm. she recently had, you know, her serious issues. But we're told that then just a few heart to hearts and shopping trips with Grace had changed all that. I mean, Grace from the very beginning was like backing out about her Paris cafe life. And mm. then when Lila started to open up to her, which is like, oh, I'm sorry, my boyfriend's having a tantrum. Bye. 
Yeah, Grace was kind of useless the whole time she's been here. But apparently a bit of shopping has just sorted out all their issues. And like that kind of argument that they had back along over that thing where she had to run off to Pierre after like bringing up a really difficult subject for Lila and then like immediately bailing was never, ever resolved. Like it was just, they fell out over that. Lila was like, fuck you. Like you can't come breezing in here pretending like everything's fine. And then it was like the next book was just like, yeah, my mother's here. Isn't it great? Well, I mean, and Pierre was nowhere to be seen. So <laughs> he's back, listeners. Oh boy, he sure is. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, Grace, uh, again, looks amazing. And um, the sa- I have to say, I'm very uh, up for the soundtrack because we're told that the the party uh, music is some French rock and roll tapes that Grace had given her, which uh, Lila is playing as band background music to give the party a mm-hmm. European flavour. Love that. <laughs> I just stayed an extra, like, nearly a week in London. So the other, um, our last episode was recorded from London, listeners. We're international and we're so mm-hmm. committed to this podcast. <laughs> we will record it even when one of us is abroad. There we go. <laughs> but uh, I was there because I was um, going to see my favourite French chanteuse, Clara Luciani, so, uh, who I strongly recommend. But I, I'm up for Lila digging the the French pop. Hmm. Yeah. I I mean it's um, considering how uh, I mean I'm surprised it's not jazz. That's all I'll oh, say. But... You know, it's nice that we're taking a little break from jazz <laughs> and mixing it up a bit. It's about time. We need to branch out. <laughs> well, Jessica's not enjoying the party, and you know things are serious because the Ghost Riders are busting out a Rolling Stones reference like a blast from the past. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, Lila can see that Jess is just not enjoying herself and uh, reckons that, yeah, even if the Rolling Stones had been brought out, Jessica probably wouldn't move from the spot where she is on the couch. So, yeah, that's definitely an indication of how how dire the situation is for her right now. (laughs) We know how much she loves Mick Jagger. We do. Inexplicably. Well, Lila, we're told, can't even revel in Jessica's misery. We're told that under normal circumstances, Lila would have welcomed the opportunity of not being (laughs) one-upped by her best friend. Yes. (laughs) Oh, fucking hell. I mean, even as serious as the situation is, it's like, I can't even enjoy it. This is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. So she knows that things are are really bad for Jessica at the moment. She thinks of her her own... uh, recent woes mm. like they're both going go through it and she's distracted from her reverie by a very heartless Jean oh I, yeah very strange from Jean here uh, yeah because I think uh, Jean has been talking to Lila and Lila wasn't really paying attention yeah. uh, so she's uh, yeah she kind of says oh you know they're talking about Jessica and Jean says yeah you think she'd be feeling better by now after all Sam's been gone a while like what? Is it even a month since this has happened? Because we know that court case was rushed all the way through. (laughs) But like, if it's four weeks, it's... Is it even that long? I don't know. Maybe two months. At the very most, it's two months. But I think it's probably more like... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's very very strange from Jean it's like well it's been six weeks why isn't she over it yet <laughs> I know. well Lila's not so blithe um, and she still kind of blames Liz like even when Jean says look the other driver is to blame Lila's like yeah but the other driver wasn't to blame for dr- Lisbeth's drinking and driving mm. uh, well we all know who was <laughs> um, so Jean changes the subject and asks about Grace and when she, uh, you know, when is she going back to Paris? And this makes Lila sad and she runs away almost crying. Almost, yes, but not quite. Yeah. 
Because she knows that, like, if uh, things are good with Grace, but it's still, um, if she's, so even if she goes back to Paris, they'll obviously still be in touch now, but it won't mm. be the same as yeah. having her on hand. Yeah, she's been so happy to have her around because apparently their relationship is completely healed and everything's fine. So mm. yeah, she doesn't want to lose her now at this stage. Yes. And she says she has to make, I have to, I just have to make Grace understand that she can't leave me alone again. Mm. Sounds quite threatening. A little bit. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, Jessica's still feeling miserable. And then she's approached by April, who, um, of course, was, you know, friends with Sam mm. and reveals that she knows how Jessica feels. And Jessica's like, yeah, really? But actually, April's kind of got a point and gives her some uh, something to think about. Mm. Yeah, April reveals that uh, her cousin died and like they had kind of grown up together and were almost basically sisters uh but uh, and Jessica kind of doesn't want to hear it because she's just she just wants to be left alone I guess um but yeah no April just kind of explains that you know obviously she does want know how she feels and that she kind of managed to pull herself out of this like just awful spiral she found herself in uh by just getting stuck into something she loved so like when Jessica asks you know how did you how did you get out of it what did you do uh April's like yeah I just got really back into to training and, and entered a dirt bike rally so Jess is like yeah well that's obviously not really my kind of thing mm. but April's like yeah obviously I don't mean go out and buy a bike do something you love like plan an event or something and you've organized practically everything that's ever happened at school um so just kind of at first takes that wrong because it's obviously the last thing she organized was the fucking jungle prom which is the source Uh-oh. of everyone's misery right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so they kind of yeah they kind of take that as an opportunity to recap Oh yes. the entirety of a night to remember <laughs> but yeah so April is just making the point that like you should just kind of throw yourself into something that you do enjoy just yes. to distract yourself yeah um, but as you said Jessica's not you know she's not ready for that mm. right yet and instead she does feel guilty about her awful deed um, but then she sort of hardens her heart and says Elizabeth just lost her driving privileges Jessica lost her one true love and she's not about to suffer alone she needs to show Elizabeth what real suffering felt like uh, <laughs> she's still a psychopath just in case you were wondering oh yeah no, still fully a mad bitch <laughs> <laughs> not the only one <laughs> Um, and then she thinks like that's why she's continue. She has to continue seeing Todd, even though he's in love with Elizabeth, um, mm. and uh, she has to keep him. And finally, she runs away crying. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to Margot's boarding oh. house. Hell yeah, she- we do. <laughs> she's making her own fun. <laughs> she's just the best. She's working on her tan because she doesn't want to stand out too much. You know, she wants to make sure that people feel like she's been here the whole time. Uh, she reckons, yeah, if Margot was going to become Elizabeth Wakefield, she'd need a well-maintained tan. So uh, apparently by now she looks like a native with her, her healthy glow. Uh, so she, at the minute, is flipping through the phone book looking for the Wakefield number um, because, uh, yeah, she she needs their address, obviously, because, uh, yeah, we're back in that good old time where you could just find where Everybody lives because of the phone book. <laughs> and their numbers. And she slams the, the, the uh, it down to the reception desk with a thud. And she enjoys seeing Mrs. Palmer, the guest house owner, convulse with surprise. We were told lately she'd had to depend on little pleasures like these <laughs> to keep her happy. <laughs> oh, I love it. She's just like, who can I freak out even just mildly for a second? That'll do me. <laughs> well, she tells Mrs. Palmer she's looking up some local friend. And then this is another... yes. And one of many examples of her having no chill and not actually being that good at keeping doing a secret plan. <laughs> because when she finally finds the Wakefield's name, she actually whispers, Wakefield! <laughs> <laughs> In front of Mrs. 
on, Margo, keep it together. Seriously. Uh, yeah, so she realizes that, you know, this was a stupid thing to do. So she, uh, Mrs. Power didn't hear her properly. So she's like, what did you say to her? So she's like, oh, I said Eureka. I found it. Because <laughs> uh, like, you know, come on now, Margo. Like she knows herself. She needs to keep the head down, but she just can't oh. resist like a burst of maniacal <laughs> laughter on a train or <laughs> exclaiming Wakefield when she finds them in a phone book. She's just... Oh, she's yeah. just, you know, we're rooting for her, but she's, she's, <laughs> she's not making it easy. <laughs> she is. And she's her own worst enemy, that Margo. <laughs> well, she, she not only gets the Wakefield's address, she sees Ned and Alice's um, business listing. And mm. she's like, oh, this is almost too perfect to be true. Oh, they must be so successful. And then she fantasizes in a frankly Freudian way about how hot Ned must be. But like, um, she's the, she's the perfect Wakefield. She'd fit right in. <laughs> There was a lot of weird incest stuff in this book. <laughs> it's never explicit, obviously, but it's like, it's kind of... Just enough to be a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, Margot can't indulge in these uh, unwholesome daydreams for too long. She decides she has to call the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just she's so funny yeah she comes up to a payphone that's on the landing or somewhere in the in the guest house uh yeah rings the house and then a girl's voice answers hello and she's like who is it is it elizabeth or jessica and she's about to ask and uh caught herself and uh i'm sure everybody will be delighted to know that this brings about the appearance of her old favorite the voice in her head <laughs> not yet <laughs> It is too soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was so happy the voice oh, was back. Oh my god. Me too. There's we no, missed your voice. <laughs> we did. There's not enough of the voice, but just knowing it's still there is uh yeah. is enough. Still rattling around that mad brain of hers. <laughs> so happy uh, so basically yeah as the voice is, is hissing not yet at her uh, she's obviously just saying nothing on the phone so this like voice on the other end is like hello who's there uh, and this uh, gives Margo a thrill she, she knew her sister would be excited to speak to her but it was too soon they'd both have to wait so she just hangs up so she basically just like kind of prank calls the house and just hang up well, we cut to the Casa del Wakefield where Liz, for it was she who answered, mm. puts down the phone and she's waiting for Enid to ring and arrange um, the, a meetup. They're going to the library and we're told that things are sort of getting back to normal. And I'm pleased to say that Liz has got her backbone again, retaught. Yeah. Oh, thank God for that. Yeah. Like she she's kind of happy to just be doing some normal things like going to the library and all that type of stuff. Um. But uh, yeah, and she kind of feels like obviously things are still strange between her and Jess, especially with Jessica going out with Todd. Uh, and Jess is kind of like, you know, she knows that she made Jessica angry. She's like, but like, why was Todd betraying her this way? Yes. Because like, yeah, from Elizabeth's point of view, he basically just stopped talking to her ever since the accident uh, and then just started going out with Jessica with like not a word to Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. So she's just like, OK, uh, what the fuck was that? So, yeah, so she does think to herself, like just when she needed him most, he practically ended their relationship. So she's pretty much had it with this fucking guy. Yeah, and I'm glad because the last mm. book it was so frustrating where she was like, oh, Todd, why did I dance with Sam at the jungle bar? I was like, stop mm. it, Elizabeth. Really, yeah. like, no reason to to feel guilty. Um, so Enid and Liz study at the library and then head to the Dairy Burger and Liz thinks it's safe to go there because she knows Jessica will be at Lila's party. Mm. Um, 
And she's in a really great mood. Like they arrive and they say Bruce, they see Bruce and Roger with Scott Trust, who seems to be popping up everywhere these days. Yeah, he's really become just sort of like a random oh guy that's in the gang. Whereas like Scott Trust is a dickhead. Like we yes. don't like that guy. <laughs> Where is Ken? It's exactly the kind of role that Ken would usually just be like, yeah, also there yes. in the gang, kind of throwing in a line here and there. Uh, but instead, we're getting fucking Scott Trust for some reason. So, Ugh. yeah, boo. <laughs> boo to that. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but luckily, Winston is there too, and he's delighted to see them. And, and uh, hmm. he leaves the the lads and joins them at their booth. And um, it turns out, Liz asks after Maria, and it turns out she's at Lila's party. So Liz is relieved because she knows that, like... That's proof that, you know, if when Maria turns up to meet Winston, she knows that Jessica might, might arrive. But, yeah. yeah. But until then, she's safe, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's really nice. I can't believe I, I felt genuinely quite touched. But she's having, like, she's hanging out with Edith and Winston. And they're having proper fun. Like, she can't remember the t- last time she laughed like this. And it's actually very charming to see her kind of having normal afternoon again. It's really nice. And I suppose, yeah, because the last time she was in the Dairy Burger, she had to like force herself to walk in because she didn't want to have to face everybody, but she had to get it over with. And it was a whole ordeal for her. And she literally like went in, grabbed her bag of takeaway and bolted out the door again. That was when Stephen met her, I think. And and it just seemed really horrible. So it was just really, it is really nice that she's just there trying to get into chat with her friends and not feeling like she's having to hide or anything. So yeah, I was really happy for her too. (laughs) (laughs) I believe this. No, I was like, good for you, Liz. Had a burger. Get a milkshake. Be great. <laughs> so she decides that, you know, they're all joking around and she decides she's got to get a milkshake, even though, you know, she's already had a, a full feast. But when she's at the counter, she sees someone comes in, come in who changes her cheery mood. Yeah. So she kind of recognizes this guy, but can't really place him and then realizes it's someone called Ted Carpenter, who apparently was Sam's best friend. Uh, so she would have seen him with Jessica and Sam a couple of times. Um, yeah, so like this guy comes up to her and he can see, I suppose, that she's enjoying herself and, you know, how dare she? So, yeah, this guy is just he's kind of got clenched fists and he's really mm. tense and angry uh, and just kind of says, you know, you're having an awfully good time. Uh, so Liz's good mood obviously just evaporates here. Uh, uh. So he just kind of berates her and he's like, look, just because they let you off the hook at your trial doesn't change anything. You were still driving drunk and Sam's still dead. And then he just turns and storms <laughs> out. So like. Yeah, it's it's pretty horrible, but you can also understand, like, as like Sam's parents, we have not seen hide nor hair of the know. last like three books. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's a uh, it's a weird one. It is, and um, he like Liz is just standing there. Edith and Winston are stunned, and Liz runs away crying. And in fairness, who can blame her? Um, hmm. There's a lot of running away crying in this book. There is a good bit of it, yeah. It, it um, feels like there's more than usual. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is a good bit of it. So Enid uh, follows her out uh, and tries to reassure her and just says, look, he's wrong, it's not your fault. The witness said so. The judge made her decision. So, you know, it doesn't really help because Liz is like, look, I was convicted for drunk driving. Mm. Um, but Enid is like, yeah, but not manslaughter. You didn't cause the accident. But Liz is just like, she's just not hearing it. She's like, look, I was driving. If I hadn't been drunk, maybe I could have avoided the other car. This is still all my fault. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to have to live with it for the rest of my life. So it's really finished up whatever bit of, of, of a good time she was having, mm. unfortunately. 
Poor Liz. Hmm. Well, we cut back to Fowler Crest, where Grace tells Lila that she doesn't want to go back to Paris, but uh, she can't leave her business in other people's hands. And uh, they've remembered another uh, another reason that she's got a connection to gay Paris. (laughs) Indeed, yeah. Uh, Grace uh, continues and says, you know, besides, I told Pierre would just be a couple of weeks. He has his work to get back to, too. (laughs) (laughs) We're told Lila had hoped she could make through the party without having to think about him. I mean, I guess the ghostwriter thought that about the last book. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. He was such an obvious obstacle. And just for him not to have come up once in the last book was crazy. (laughs) Then he appears being a giant freak. Oh my God, he just continues to be the worst, but also hilarious. Um, is, is, I do not know what stereotype he is meant to be. They're, they're just throwing so much random shit at the wall here. It's just, he just He's impossible to pin down this man. He, uh, because yeah, <laughs> apparently... Yeah, Lila cringes at the uh, at the mention of him, but then thinks that, uh, yes, the thought of him was nothing compared to the actual sight of him. Because here he is coming towards them because he is actually at this party and has deigned to come to Sweet Valley. But he's described in his entrance as walking with an affected bounce in his step and swinging his arms wildly. Lila suspected it had taken him years to perfect this particular affectation. His way of ensuring he was the focus of attention. Like, yeah, I've no doubt if he's like coming in, like... Bouncing, bouncy walk and flinging his arms around like who is this madman? What is happening? <laughs> and uh, he, uh, we're told he raised a lit cigarette to his lips, barely bothering to inhale. And Lila thinks, "Oh, show no substance," which implies that if he'd like taken a giant drag off and blown the smoke in someone's face, she'd have been like, "I respect you, Pierre, and your commitment to smoking." <laughs> A grudging respect for his dedication to nicotine hits, but like, yeah, very strange from Pierre, all of it. Um, but yeah, Lila kind of mumbles to herself, here comes the creep now. Like, and her mom is right there. So it's like, Lila, what are you doing? No one can, like, no one has any chill. Everyone just says the phrase and yeah. pops into their heads in this book, which is pretty funny in fairness. Um, so Grace is like, oh, I hope you don't mind I, that I asked him to the party. And Lila wondered if Grace really cared what she wanted as far as Pierre was concerned. Good point, Lila, mm. because uh, I don't think she does. Very true. It's like it's a party of all of Lila's friends to get to meet her mom. And her mom is like, cool, I'll bring my weird boyfriend <laughs> along. Like, how about no, Grace? <laughs> and uh, she, Lila says, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine. But then she escapes and says she needs to check in her guests. Um, and she does feel a bit guilty for ditching her, her mother, but thinks, what could a, such a sophisticated woman possibly see in such a pretentious oaf? Mm. And... Um, I mean, what indeed? We never get an explanation for this because she looks over and sees Pierre plan to kiss on Grace's hand and her mother's usually pale face begins to turn dark and uh, pink. And she gives a forced laugh and says, don't be so dramatic. Like, he's like this all the time. Why is she suddenly embarrassed by him? Yeah, I mean... She's kind of, she's just constantly embarrassed by him. Like them being together genuinely does not make any sense. Uh, quite apart from the fact that he's a completely ridiculous character. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, what what is happening here, Grace? Like, seriously, explain it. <laughs> like it would make more sense if he was like a super, you know, super French, like French philosopher type, but like a, le- uh, you know, the sort who, who wears um, like specially cut, low cut shirts. 
Yes, and has a glowing mane. Uh, was it Bernard? Yeah, Bernard Henry Levy used to get his, ta- his shirts tailored to show his manly chest. Like, <laughs> that would be, you know, some sort of French intellectual. That would be a stereotype that actually exists. And yeah. also, you could see why Grace might go out with this person in France and then be yeah. kind of embarrassed by their, you know, French stereotype ways when she's yeah. in America. But like this Miami Vice drug dealer and his weird <laughs> walk swinging his arms around the gaff like barely smoking cigarettes it's like yeah this isn't anything I don't get it either <laughs> like why is she with him but uh, anyway Lila is joined by Pamela and uh, says who's the guy he looks like he could use a good hairstylist and um, Lila's uh, finds this remark so hilarious she practically spits seltzer across the room it's very unlike Lila so she was obviously just dying to bitch about Pierre with somebody that she's that delighted and relieved by this remark I guess Um, but um, yeah so she and also yeah this kind of establishes now that Pamela is kind of part of the gang and they're friends now Um, but yeah Lila explains that uh, that this oh yeah or as she puts it of course (laughs) that is Pierre And uh, Pamela is shocked that Grace is going out with such a sleazy douchebag, basically. (laughs) Yeah, she's not wrong. (laughs) Uh, She clearly feels that George is a more suitable consort for Grace. She tells Lila she could see her mother with with him, but not this Mm. guy. And this confirms what Lila had known all along. Grace could do much better than Pierre. And she smiled mischievously as she began to devise a plan. Ooh. Later, she's in the kitchen and she has an unpleasant surprise. Oh, well, Pierre finds her uh, and she kind of thinks to herself, oh, God, she allowed Pierre to trap her in the kitchen because she's been really kind of on her game all day, managing to avoid him. Uh, and like obviously has her friends in on it, too. So they keep kind of coming to get her every time he tries to corner her. Uh, but uh, but now she's uh, she's on her own. So she's got no one to rescue her, unfortunately. And she's stuck with this fucking guy. And she just says, looking for the exit. And <laughs> um He's like, oh, was that a diss, basically? But he says, but no, I could not leave a room such a, full of such pretty girls. Besides, I've been waiting for a chance to speak with you. <laughs> but uh, Lila is not charmed by his, we're told, pretentious cliches. <laughs> and uh, he's he loses patience with her. Um, but... Uh, as far as or she thinks he's losing patience with her, but mm. actually he's he's quite determined to uh, to charm her. True. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like his his he loses whatever cheesy smile he had going on. So uh, he knows that she's not taken in by him at all. Um, but he just kind of does insist that he wants to get to know her better. Um, and, uh, you know, wants to, to know about all the fun little things that you and your friends do in Sweet Valley. Uh, so, yeah, Grace kind of comes in at that point and she's like, oh, yes, you know, and once you do know her, you love her just as much as I do. Uh, and Lila is just like, oh, for God's sake, I just do not need to get to know this man better. I know I don't like him. <laughs> I don't want to have to spend any more time with him than I absolutely have to. <laughs> well, she escapes, but Grace follows her. And uh, we're told the softness in her eyes is replaced by a motherly firmness. I mean, it's a bit late for that now, Grace. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. she she asks her asks Lila why she's being a dick to Pierre. Um I, again, I'm just baffled what they're trying to, how they're trying to present this relationship. Because she says, he's not as bad as you obviously think. Once you make an effort to get to know better, you'll realise that. And Lila wonders if she's right, because she's like, Grace probably wouldn't waste her time on him if he didn't have some good qualities. 
But hmm. it turns out that isn't true. Spoiler alert. Like, yeah, there he doesn't are have no, good qualities. No, there are no layers to this man. What you see is exactly what you get. And it's like, it makes even less sense as the book goes on. Because, yeah, there's there's nothing else to this guy. He is just as, like, annoying and terrible as he seems. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but anyway, she apologises. Lila apologises to Grace. And Grace thanks her. And poor Lila, she's so easily pleased because we're told she breathed a sigh of relief and a warm feeling enveloped her. Grace was so wonderful, so understanding. Uh, why can't you stay here forever? Lila silently asked her mother. I mean, is she so wonderful and understanding? I, there's a lot of just the book telling us that Grace is amazing and their relationship is wonderful with very little to actually prove as much happening in the book. But then she realises what is standing between her and Grace being reunited forever. Mm, yes, and it's fucking Pierre, of course. She sees him, uh, he's after cornering Jean and Amy in a corner of the living room. He's like laughing loudly at his own jokes, blowing cigarette smoke into their faces. And like, they're literally gasping and wheezing. So like Lila's watching this going, Jesus Christ, like I... I'm not going to get to like this man any better once I get to know him. Uh, and yeah, she kind of comes to the conclusion this is what's standing between uh, her and her mother actually properly being reunited and Grace being mm. back for good. Well, we cut to the Wilkins home where Todd miserably shoots baskets and thinks, Wilkins, zero. Misery, batting a thousand. Todd laughed at himself for mixing up his sports. <laughs> How hilarious, Todd. <laughs> He's a comedy genius. <laughs> But one thing is clear to him. Todd Wilkins was a world-class jerk. A lonely world-class jerk. And it was his own fault. I mean, no arguments here. Oh, none whatsoever. My God. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> he's kind of just thinking about his whole stupid situation uh, and that, like, Stephen Wakefield was right and if he hadn't deserted Liz, maybe she'd still love him. Now she didn't want anything to do with him. Who could blame her? Uh, and then he's just kind of berating himself for, like, going out with Jessica. And it's like, yeah, as well you fucking might. Uh, but as he's thinking all this, <laughs> he kind of mumbles, Jessica, as he's throwing the ball. <laughs> And it turns out she's behind him. So she's just like, oh, do you have eyes in the back of your head or ESP? And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's this bitch again. <laughs> it is terrifying. The ball literally falls from his weakened grasp. <laughs> and she's standing in front of him. Her bright, beaming smile spread from ear to ear. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> she's like, if you're in the bathroom and it's one of those cabinets with a mirror on it and you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> When you close the cabinet, it's like, bam, there's Jessica grinning at you. Oh, stop. That'll be my nightmare tonight. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and you're welcome, listeners. <laughs> Sleep well. <laughs> well, of course, Todd fucking pretends it's Liz. Uh, we're told, by the way, his mental image of her is slender and blonde with a smile so warm it could melt steel. I mean, that sounds scary, too. <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> terrifying but uh, of course Jessica starts kissing him and for once Todd pushes away unable to pretend any longer and Jessica uh, so he's, he does actually say look to himself I have to be straight with Jessica with myself but of course Jessica isn't going to let him go easily oh god like she knows herself obviously that this is kind of coming to a head because she, she feels like his kiss is distant. He wasn't loosening up the way he always had before. Uh, she'd always been kind of able to manage to get him to forget about Liz as far as she was concerned, whereas it turns out he was just pretending she was Liz. It's just like, <laughs> this is just horrible from all angles. Um, 
Yeah, so she's kind of starting to realize he's slipping through her fingers. Um, so uh, yeah, she thinks, God, you know, I have to do something. You can't let him go. So um, so she says to him that you know that she she had such a tough time at that like lunch party at Lila's. It was awful, and no one wanted to come near me, and they feel so awkward about Sam. And then she like makes herself cry, so like fake <gasps> cries, so that she looks really <laughs> upset. So he'll comfort her, and yeah. like. Fucking hell, she's just so mercenary about this whole thing. It's like, it'd be impressive if she wasn't so scary. <laughs> it really would. Like, this is cold. She commands tears to form in her eyes. <laughs> and also, how does Todd buy this shit? Because he's in school with Jessica and sees her hmm. friends all being very solicitous slash normal with her. Yeah. So how they're all suddenly too awkward to talk to her is ridiculous. But... Hmm. <sighs> Anyway, we cut back to the party where everyone's um, talking about Jessica's sudden departure and how, you know, she's still not in a great place. But Caroline uh, wants to discourse a uh, foreign hunk. Yeah, she was... She Yeah, this was kind of weird. She wants to know, has anyone seen The Lone Fighter yet? Uh, and uh, I think Suzanne is like, oh, it's not meant to be very good. But then Jean is like, oh, are you kidding? Anything with Jean-Paul Bertrand is great. <laughs> Apparently he's Hollywood's latest foreign heartthrob. Um, and Lila kind of is just like, oh God, she's just a sucking sick of French men at the moment. <laughs> that she's just like, oh, I'll probably just catch it on video or whatever. Um, but yeah, even the kind of the girls there now start thinking, God, you know, it's a pity Grace is dating Pierre instead of Jean-Paul. And Susanna's like, why is a beautiful, sophisticated woman like your mother, like, what is she doing with him? I guess we'll never know. <laughs> I guess not. There's simply no answer to that question. <laughs> well, Lila says you must have good qualities of grace like some of the old praise grace again. Hmm. But then they see Amy and something is not right. Yeah, so Amy was down along the lawn somewhere and she's really kind of quickly walking back to them, staggering a little bit, it sounds like, and she's breathing heavily. So the girls kind of meet her uh, and she's really pale when they get up to her. So they're asking her if she's okay. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. But it's all very unconvincing. Mm -hmm. So she kind of just says to Lila, look, I have to go. I have a really bad headache. Um, and Lila kind of tries to, to get her to stay, to have a lie down upstairs or something. But she's just like, nope, nope, got to go. And she's out of there. Like she's not hanging around. So something weird has happened. And they do all think, well, that was very strange. Yeah. Um, and Lila kind of thinks, right, something has happened near that, that Amy isn't telling us. Yeah. We cut... To the Wave Cafe? The fucking what now? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got a local band playing there that night. This or that afternoon, I guess. The yeah. Sensations. Uh, fucking hell, I guess. Like all the rules are out the fucking window at this stage, lads. We're just throwing in random cafes and bands. Like <laughs> if they're on the droids turf, I would watch their backs oh, if I was them because oh. Dana Larson will cut a bitch. And rightly so. <laughs> Well, Jessica is there with Todd, but it's not going well because he is barely saying a word. And <laughs> Jessica keeps sort of chattering on, trying to pretend everything's all right. But but even she can't ignore the truth, which is that clearly he is not up for being <laughs> with her. So she thinks, no problem. I'll just have to make sure he knows how much fun she, he, he'll be missing out on if he gives up on me. Oh God. And I swear to God, the desperation of this <laughs> crazy bitch is painful to read about. It's it's grim. Like in, in in like some good timing from the band, they're starting up. So she's just like, okay, perfect. This is my chance now because her way to show what he'll be missing out on is to to do her famous dance moves. I guess <laughs> literally that. 
Yep. <laughs> she drags him out to the dance floor before he can refuse, and he just sort of shuffles around. But oh, she, sounds so awkward. <laughs> like she's trying to show him a new dance that she learned from, we're told, what felt like the hundreds of hours of TV she watched immediately after Sam's death. And she's like pointing out other dancers. We're told she was tempted to make faces at him, but drew the line at humiliating yourself. I mean, that ship's sailed long. Like. Yes, that horse has well bolted, I'm afraid, Jessica, because this just sounds incredible incredibly awkward and unpleasant for everybody. <laughs> and then there's a slow set and Jessica's like, okay, well, here's my chance. But Todd did little more, we're told, than spin her around in a hypnotic circle. Fucking hell. I just like, my God. Yeah. So Jessica kind of realizes at this stage, like, this is done. He isn't interested yeah. with being with her. He wants to be out with a Wakefield, but Jessica knew it wasn't her. So she's like, right, I, she needs to come up with something to keep him in her clutches. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because she's just like, no, I can't be alone. I just can't let that happen. So she suggests that they go for a walk on the beach. <gasps> yes. And uh, Todd says, I promised I'd help my mom clean out the garage today. But Jessica drapes her arms around his <laughs> neck and says, just tell her I held you hostage. I mean, no word of a lie there. <laughs> Very true. Like that is chillingly accurate, Jessica. <laughs> so Todd gives in. Oh, the sack he is. Uh, but when she sort of drapes herself around him on the beach, he undrapes her and he suggests <laughs> they sit down in the way that somebody might do. They're like, look, we need to talk. Um, but we're told, luckily, where Jessica was concerned, silence was golden. And she starts, uh, you know, making a move and says, no man could ignore a kiss from Jessica Wakefield. And then, about <laughs> fucking time. Oh, God, it took him long enough. But finally, yeah, he, he kind of moves away from her, jumps to his feet and says, this isn't right. <gasps> uh, and it is pretty funny because when he does that, Jessica collapses in the sand <laughs> because she was leaning on him, which does sound quite funny. And he doesn't notice this at all. <laughs> but, uh, but Jessica kind of knows, look, this is this is done. He like he's he's. He doesn't love her and he never will. And she'd only been, you know, he knows that he had only been using her because she reminded him of her twin. And Jessica knows this, but, uh, you know, she can't even be mad at him because she's obviously using him too. So, yeah, finally, fucking finally, finally, oh. Todd spins around and says, I'm sorry, Jess, but it's over. Um, Hooray! Thank fucking God for that. Oh, uh, God. But Jess is just like, well, I'll never be happy again. This is terrible. So he offers to bring her home, but she's just like, no, she doesn't want him to play the good guy. So she says she's going to walk home. So Todd is like, okay. And he's just like, right, I'm out of here. And heads off in his shiny BMW. <laughs> After confusion and pain mingle in his mocha eyes. They, they call his eyes mocha like four times or something. Well, I'm sure you've counted them all exactly, of course. But uh, it was it was very noticeable. Uh, and Jessica realises her worst fear was now a reality. Jessica Wakefield was all alone. <gasps> and then... We cut to Kelly's. Holy shit, lads. Everything is happening all at once and it's wonderful. Uh, we're oh in my Kelly's. God. There's a neon green sign outside, which is a new detail that I absolutely love. Uh, oh. And we've got Margot walking in that door. <laughs> and channeling Betty Davis, she uh, she says, what a dump. And <laughs> It's inside. It's a total kip. It's described in great detail, in way more detail than it was in the Rick Andover visits. Um, but uh, the, she joins a couple of barflies at the uh, at the bar, and when the barman asks for ID, Marco uh, 
is full of panic. Again, she panics so fucking easily. <laughs> like, how has she not thought this was a possibility? I know. Yeah, because she's like, she's kind of panicking. She's stalling for time. So she opens her bag and kind of rummages around it, pretending that she's looking for it. Uh, and uh, thinking she should just pretend that she's forgotten it or left it at home. But then uh, all the like the barflies and the bartender all start laughing. Uh, and you do not laugh at Margot. Oh. <laughs> so, so she's just like, what's so funny? Um, and uh, yeah, one of the guys at the bar just says, oh, he plays that trick on every pretty young thing that comes in here. He doesn't care how old you are. He just wants to know your name. So like, that's gross. But also Margot's relieved because she doesn't actually have to produce any ID. <laughs> Indeed. And the barkman man introduces himself as Jay and Margot says she's Mandy. So she chats with all these losers for a while. But then she's like, look, this isn't a place like this isn't going to get me anywhere. Mm. And so she's about to leave. And then a newcomer arrives and he's one of the most gorgeous guys Margot has ever seen. You can tell she's new to Sweet Valley because every guy in Sweet Valley is the most gorgeous guy anybody has ever seen on any given day. Uh, yeah, so this guy uh, appears in the doorway. The barman shouts over. He's like, James, come on in. I want you to meet my new girlfriend. Uh, gross. And Ooh. this guy kind of walks in, takes a seat next to Margot and is kind of ignoring her. Uh, so she's just like, oh, it's nice to meet you. And he's like, yeah, same. He's tough. Margot remarked to herself. I like that. I'll definitely be able to use him. Ooh. <laughs> She thinks he's an Adonis in a tank top. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this guy's name is James and his bike is busted again. He mm. pouts in a way that Margot found very appealing. Does Do any heterosexual women, <laughs> I mean, or any women who fancy men, like I'm including myself in this, Fancy men who pout over their bike being broken. Like, that is not sexy. <laughs> My bike is broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound very sexy, but it's doing it for Margo anyway. <laughs> Mysteriously, yes. Yeah. So yeah, he can't uh, afford to get it fixed. And um, he is a... Uh, she. It turns out he is a dirt bike racer and Margot uses her growing expertise at manipulating people to draw out the quiet biker. And... Uh, she mm-hmm. thinks that he might prove the perfect bait for Jessica or Elizabeth. Fantastic. She's just, yeah, all business all the time. It's great. Mm. We were reminded of her recent romantic failures and all the gorgeous guys she's met since leaving New York. None of them had amounted, uh, had amounted to much. The biggest disappointment, though, had been Josh Smith, the teenage brother of the boy she'd killed in Ohio. <laughs> not only had he not taken any interest in her, he had even chased her across the country <laughs> to Los Angeles, trying to turn her into the authorities. I mean, I hate it when that happens. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> You're there minding your business and some guy is like, oh, you killed my brother. I'm turning into the authority. He's like, fuck off. So disappointing. Right? (laughs) Well, but Margot has consolation. uh, The the consolation of knowing that when she becomes Elizabeth Wakefield, she'll have her pick of the Sweet Valley guys and they'll treat her like a princess. (laughs) Yes. She decides Elizabeth certainly deserved better than James or Josh. And now we'll get a little heads up here, listeners. Uh, there's going to be a description of a uh, a sexual assault coming up now involving some hmm. very unpleasant groping. So, um, you know, if you don't want to listen to that, maybe skim the next few minutes or yeah. uh, or just be be prepared. Uh, because we cut to the Sutton household and 
poor Amy is in bits after having had a horrible sleepless night. Yeah, it sounds really awful. She was just crying all night and then just kind of just watching the clock uh, tick tick down the minutes uh, and just like, yeah, couldn't sleep at all. Got up to even take a shower in the middle of the night to just oh. try and uh, wash away this horrible feeling. Uh, but uh, realizes she must have fallen asleep at some point in the morning because she has kind of woken up from from some kind of horrible nightmare, I think, yeah. at this stage. So her mom comes in and is like, oh my God, what's wrong? You look really upset. Uh, so we hear that Amy wants to tell her mother the truth, but isn't quite ready to share it with anyone. So she just kind of says, no, I just had trouble sleeping last night. Uh, and Mrs. Sutton is kind of heading out. It's a Sunday at this stage, but sure, she works for the TV station. So she has to head out oh, to work. Of course. Uh, and Amy's dad is gone uh, for a photo shoot. So neither of her parents are actually around or going to be around for the day. So she's kind of left on her own then because she, she tells her mom that she's fine and she's just going to get up now anyway. And it's all grand. But like, she's not fine. She's uh, not. She's really miserable. She's pacing around, uh, trying to keep her mind off the horrible incident. She wishes she told her mother what had happened uh, and kind of feels like maybe some of this anger and hurt would have escaped. And of course, it's all kind of stuff that... You know, she kind of probably knows herself what she should do as a counsellor, but couldn't quite find the words, yeah. I think, at the time to tell her mother. Um, so, yeah, it, it suddenly dawns on her that uh, someone needed to know. E- oh, yeah, there was someone who needed to know even more than Amy needed to tell uh, because there's someone Pierre could hurt <gasps> more than he'd hurt her. So she picks up the phone and rings Lila's number. She does. And Lila is already uh, in the middle of plotting to uh, get rid of Pierre. Mm-hmm. She uh, Poor Amy reveals the whole awful story. So she went out to the tennis court to pick up some clothes she'd left there um, earlier. And Pierre came outside and started to come on to her. And um, at first it was, uh, by the way, Lila is horrified and is really, her anger at, towards mm. Pierre turns into unbridled rage. Well, they were told, as bad as she was, she couldn't help taking pleasure in the fact that this could be the answer to Lila's prayers. Oh, come on, Lila. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. Oh, poor Amy is like pouring her heart out here. And Lila's just like, yes, my plan. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on now, stay on focus here, please. <laughs> so Lila asks if Pierre hurt her. And she says, like, at first it was just talk. So she thought, oh, maybe I'm just imagining it. And you can imagine how sleazy he was mm. being. But... Then he put his hand on her shoulder and basically let it slide down and felt her up. Yeah. And um, Lila is genuinely enraged and her says, that disgusting creep. And this gives Amy more confidence. Like, you know, she's basically being heard and mm. taken seriously. And Lila, or Amy says she had to run to get away from him. Um, and... Uh, Lila thinks that, you know, what? how far would Pierre have gone if Amy mm. hadn't run away and thinks he might have forced Amy to do something against her will. And even if he wasn't that bad, uh, he certainly hadn't seemed to mind betraying Grace. I mean, even if he thought this was a come on, uh, a consensual come on, Lila, she's 16. So. Yeah, like it's 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 grim all the way down. Um, yeah, Lila's thought process is a little bit odd here. Mm. <laughs> But uh, Lila tells Amy that she didn't do anything wrong. And um, Amy asks how long, you know, Pierre is going to be around. And it's it's another week until they return to France. But um, Lila's already plotting and she thinks, I'll figure out how to tell my mother. And as for Pierre, don't worry. And uh, we're told she says this with an evil smile. <laughs> He's not going to be around much longer. You can be sure of that. <laughs> and now, I do not get why she doesn't tell like we're told why but I do not buy 
why she does not tell Grace straight away because she's going to, but then she doesn't. Yeah, and I can I can I can see the logic in terms of Sweet Valley, yeah. uh, but in real life, absolutely not, <laughs> because she kind of thinks to herself that she's yeah she's about to knock on her mother's door to tell her everything, but then she can suddenly see Grace like looking at her with like a disappointed look. Uh, and thinks, God, what if Grace thinks I'm lying about this because I don't like Pierre? Because I know, like Grace knows Lila doesn't like him. And as far as mm. she's concerned, he, she hasn't given him a proper chance yet. So I can kind of see Lila's, again, very much within the world of yeah. Sweet Valley. <laughs> you can see Lila's logic where it's like, but if I say this now, she mightn't believe me because this is the type of thing I might do to try and get rid of him. It just turns out that this did happen. Yeah. And like, yeah, obviously, again, <laughs> in real life, absolutely, she should have told her. But I can kind of get where she's coming from here. Well, I guess I can, apart from the fact there were loads of witnesses that saw Amy run away and mm, look really upset. True, yeah. And she's got Amy as well. So she's not just <laughs> saying he came on to me. Yeah, that's true. There is there is evidence and witnesses yeah. to this whole situation. Yeah. But anyway, she decides she needs to do more. Mm. We got to L.A., and Josh is still on the hunt. Um, and he says aloud, come out, come out, wherever you are. And we're told he quoted the line as little brother Georgie had always used when he'd given up looking for Josh during a game of hide and seek. I mean, it's what everybody says with hide and seek. It's not like yeah, Georgie's that's not, catchphrase. It's not a Georgie thing. Yeah. <laughs> come on, Josh. <laughs> but yeah, and now there's a bit of retconning here as well, or like oh. a lack of continuity, because we get a whole recap of something that did not happen <laughs> because Josh is thinking about how Margot slipped through his grasp and ran away at the train uh. station and that like <gasps> he had yelled for someone to stop Margot from escaping into the throng of rush hour commuters. <sighs> Observers stared at him like he was crazy when like what actually happened in the last book was he cornered her in a diner. Yes! And she legged it in the confusion when she started shouting at him and everyone thought he was being inappropriate or something. So like that was the last time he actually saw Margot. So the fact that he's in the train station feels like an unfair advantage to Josh in this. That is an unearned yes. head start. And <laughs> some people just hate to see a girl boss winning. So I do not appreciate this fucking retconning in Josh's favour is all I'll say. Yeah. Good, good point. <laughs> When Josh slams his hand onto the windowsill, how many other innocent people has Margot killed? He wondered angrily. I mean, at least yeah. two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those are just the ones we know about. Yeah. We didn't see large chunks of that journey, so she could have been, you know, killing somebody at every single stop. Like, and I wouldn't put a plaster. Not a bit. This uh, petrol station in Houston probably just riddled the bodies. <laughs> Well, it turns out that when he did talk to the police back at the um, train station, mm -hmm. we mean diner, they just, like, they're not taking it seriously. They're all like, oh, it's out of our jurisdiction. We're, and then we're concentrating our search in Ohio. By the way, they do know her real name now. We're not sure how that came out because she was... Um, That's it, because she was Michelle as far yes. as Georgie's mother was concerned when she was hiring her. So how did Josh unearth the fact Margo. that she's actually Margot? And also do the police know that she's in America like it's it's very haphazard this whole thing I mean have they connected her with the fire in, in Long Island, Long yeah. Island? It, seems, it seems like Josh has but I don't know if the cops have <laughs> <laughs> well um, Josh has no time for the police now he's a vigilante he, he's, he's looking for his own rough justice um, we're told without any training he'd all but caught his little brother's killer single-handedly so we'll just have to continue to do the, the police's job for them mm. And uh, he's got loads of notes and stuff. And um, 
he's trying to figure out, you know, all Margot's known addresses. I mean, he clearly has found out a lot. How? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but then a photo falls out from his notebook and it's a candid picture of Margot and Georgie. Apparently his mother, she only allowed his mother to take one photo and mm. uh or at least she never allowed her to take another photo. So I'd say even that's that snapshot was um oh did you say a candid picture? Yeah. So she didn't know mm. she was being photographed. Yeah. And, and now Josh knows why. But then the phone rings and Mrs. Smith is on the line and she's not in a good way. No, poor old uh, Sheila Smith, as it turns out her full name is. Uh, yeah, she's in a very bad way. Apparently she started drowning her sorrows the moment she got worried from the police about Georgie. Uh, so she's just crying down the phone saying she's so lonely without him and without Georgie uh, and is just asking him to come home, basically, because I suppose, yeah, like as far as she's concerned, she's lost one son and now the other one has just fucking disappeared across country. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, she's blaming herself uh, for Georgie's death because, of course, she had hired Margot without checking references or even verifying Margot's assumed name Michelle <laughs> but how, um, how do they know her real name they must have, have linked no her to idea. Long Island like, this is so strange yeah <laughs> but anyway Josh uh, he obviously feels guilty and feels terrible for his mother but like he's like no he can't he can't give up now he has to yeah, find Margot so he's a exactly. man on a mission and he reckons even if he's to talk to every single train conductor living in LA Margot would pay for what she'd done <gasps> so uh, so he grabs his jacket and races out of the room because he's, he's just got to, to find some kind of a lead on this whole situation indeed we cut to Jessica getting out of a car after getting a lift from beloved family friend, Archie <laughs> Western. Yeah, I think. No, he was Stephen's friend now at some point. <laughs> well, he was <laughs> mentioned like... in one of these recent books as being Stephen's friend. But when did we have the whole, like, my best friend's boyfriend? No, it wasn't my best friend's boyfriend. The girl they both loved. Oh, yeah, Artie was one of the guys in that, wasn't he? he? Was the, yeah, it was him and Michael Harris in April. Yeah. And there were no references mm. to him being Stephen's best friend then. Yeah, I I don't know. It's, <laughs> yeah, he's Stephen's best friend, all of a shot. So there we go. Apparently <laughs> has a cheerful round face. Hmm. And lately the stocky senior's presence <laughs> only reminded Jessica of her despair because he reminds her of like, the track. Are they saying all this just so it's like, this is why Jessica isn't like coming on to Artie or like straddling him <laughs> as he's driving her home because he's stocky and he's got a round face, okay? <laughs> I mean, she's doing it to practically every other man she meets. So yes. <laughs> But then we discover that he hasn't given her a lift to Calico Drive. He's given her a lift to the cemetery. <gasps> yeah, and he does ask her, like, are you sure this is where you want to go? And she's like, yes, and refuses to open up anymore and says, I'll see you later. So he <gasps> pulls off anyway, pulls away. And Jessica begins, uh, yes, her ascent up to the spot where Sam is buried. So she imagines herself visiting Sam's grave in the distant future, i.e. 15 years from now. She literally says 15 years uh, when she will be the ripe old age of 31. And we're told in her vision, the pain replaced her blonde hair with a brittle grey mass and her sparkling blue eyes with grey ones. Her beautiful complexion had dried and wrinkled horribly. Does the ghostwriter think your eyes change colour with age? <laughs> when you turn 30, your eyes change colour. It's very shocking. <laughs> but also, in fairness, the fact that she's like that she could potentially have like dried and wrinkled skin at 31 would kind of make sense, considering mm. she actually cooks herself in that California <laughs> sunshine baby oil on the reg. So like that much, I'm like, yeah, fine. But like we can probably cool it with the fucking grey hair and eye change colour. Like, come on now. <laughs> But yes, she will look like a leather handbag in a certain oh, amount of years. Oh, God. But 25, she'll yeah. be. 
like an old boot. Mm. Well, um, she basically flings herself on Sam's grave and rolls around for a while dramatically, literally, and says, mm. it should have been me who died that night. I mean, I won't argue with that. <laughs> and she hugs the grave and finally she sort of comes to her senses and she wonders how long she's been there. Was it 15 minutes? Was it an hour? I bet it was just five minutes. I bet oh, that's yeah. as long as she can spend on any <laughs> human emotion. Yeah, true. She's got it all used up now for the rest of the day. <laughs> or year. Um, but then she's like, she examines her filthy skin and clothing. So she really has been rolling around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if this was a real person, it would be really, really sad. But because it's Jessica, it is hilarious. I'm sorry. It is funny. Yeah. <laughs> but then she thinks, with or without Sam Woodruff, she's still Jessica Wakefield. How do you allow yourself to get this way? And then she has a revelation. Yeah, she kind of realises suddenly that April was right, that she needs to do something, something life-affirming, something that would make her happy and pay tribute to Sam. Because she kind of, it's kind of like one of these obvious things, but obviously it takes a bit of time to hit you probably, where she's Mm. like, you know, Sam had died, but she hadn't. She was still alive. And she realises she'd been acting for the last few weeks, like she'd been killed in the car crash too. So she's like, right, I need, I need a plan. I'm going to do something. Mm. So she tries to think what she could do. And she's like a dance. No, she was through planning dances for a while. And yeah, probably wise. (laughs) Uh, Beach party apparently seems too trivial. And then it finally comes to her. And again, it's like, it's so obvious. She wondered why it had taken her so long. So she's going to uh, organize a dirt bike rally. So it'll be a memorial for Sam and it'll be something that he would have enjoyed and it would honor him properly. Oh, and it might just be the prescription to bring back the old Jessica Wakefield. I mean, do we have to? <laughs> I know, must we? <laughs> <laughs> well, we cut to Calico Drive and Margot's hiding in a bush. Oh, you love to see it. She is across from the Castell Wakefield, hiding in a bush, getting stabbed by some roses, but she's that dedicated. She doesn't even notice she's bleeding because she's so busy uh, peering through the windows from across the road. Yes, and she wants to run across and ring the doorbell and say, I'm home, mother. But luckily, <laughs> not yet, whispers the voice. Oh, it hisses. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I think I was going to Mariah Carey there with her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the voice says, you'll ruin everything. And obediently, Marco ducks beneath the tops of the roses. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and then, who should leave the house but Ned? Yeah, she's enraptured by the sight of Ned. He's so confident and handsome and she thinks he'll protect me unlike those other jerks on Long, I- Long Island who call themselves fathers because obviously she's had horrendous luck with mm. uh, with foster parents. Uh, then a young blonde <laughs> figure appears in the doorway and she's like, finally, one of the twins. Come closer. She bleeded silently, but then realises it's not one of the twins. It's Alice Wakefield. So uh, so she's delighted to see uh, to see how happy and loving they are as a couple. Um, so she's really delighted about all this. But then suddenly someone else comes out the door who she wasn't expecting. Yes, she didn't know there was a brother in this household. <laughs> and uh, as she uh, as he he gets in his Stephen gets in his car and drives away, she can see that there is an SVU sticker, and she knows that Sweet Valley University was just up the coast. So it's officially SVU, and it's officially mm. uh, just up the coast. I guess. <laughs> there we go. We're learning things all the time here. I mean, who that could be a hundred miles, two hundred. We know how big America, you know, American <laughs> sense of scale is. True. But, this means nothing. <laughs> but uh, this is kind of horrible. She thinks how she cringes as she remembers how some of her foster brothers had treated her, but she knew how Stephen should think of her as a younger sister and nothing more. I mean, 
that's debatable in this family. Oh. <laughs> Well, in fairness, it does seem like it's mostly the twins thinking about how hot their dad and their brother is. Like, oh, that's I true. don't know if Stephen does too much. God, my sister's just so hot. He doesn't, actually. I'm, I'm sorry. Know, he's, he's too present. busy chasing after, uh, chasing after fucking dead girlfriend looking likes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, actual fellow school girls, their fellow school girls, because he cannot go out with somebody his own age. Oh, at least he is now. Sorry. I'll, I'll... Oh, that's true. Finally, Billy has entered the room. And uh, yeah, good God. <laughs> and then somebody who's clearly Enid, uh, a girl with curly brown shoulder length hair, mm. arrives and beeps the horn and um, the twins come out. And it's Margot's first glimpse of her idols. There you go. Yeah, she's delighted to see them, but kind of realises this tension between the two of them because they don't even look at each other or wave when uh, when one gets into the car with this other girl who's Enid and the other one hops into um, a car or the car that's in the driveway. So she's like, there's definite tension between these two. And she hates to think that the girl squabbled, but then thinks this could prove useful in my plan. <laughs> it's all about the plan. I mean, she really is. She fits in in Sweet Valley because she'll see something bad. Then be like, how could I make use of this? And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I need to train this to my advantage somehow. <laughs> I mean, there's not much difference between her and Jessica and Lila, especially Jessica. But uh, then Alice herself comes out and it's so radiant. Margot almost breaks cover. She says out loud, she's so beautiful. <laughs> um, and then Alice gets into the car and goes off and... Uh, Margot feels enraged that Margot is a ba- or that Alice is abandoning her, but the mad bitch can't stay angry for long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she thinks, uh, you know, it's it's going to be okay, and uh, I do. <laughs> yeah, she, my my new mother, Margot whispered, <laughs> I do love you so. <laughs> she thinks it's just a matter of time before the perfect mother and the perfect family would be hers. <laughs> Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, we cut to Fowler Crest, where Grace is being fucking insufferable. She's so annoying. She's so annoying. So she tells, she's telling the end of a story. It's this is the punchline. And the pilot said, Excuse me, ma'am, but you'll have to leave the poodle with the luggage. And then as their laughter begins to die down, she says, It's even funnier if you tell it in French. And I was thinking, okay, what's the so it's, I don't know what you made of it, but I think that the that the French for that is uh, excusez-moi, madame, uh, mais il faut que vous laissez le chien, le caniche, that's brutal, oh. uh, avec les bagages. Is that funny? I don't think that's funny. Like, no, I, you know, I guess we're missing some really important context. Yeah. Joke. But yeah, I was just like, oh God, Grace, you are annoying. Oh, she's <laughs> so fucking tedious. Yeah. Uh, and um, then she has to go and take a call from France. And while she's gone, George is troubled by sort of regrets as well. He fucking might be. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm not. How was this man not haunted by his decisions every day of his life Jesus since he Christ. fucking banished Grace? Because holy shit, that was cold. But uh, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> he's um yeah Lila's kind of watching him because he's always uh so stoic usually apparently uh yeah. so she kind of tries to ask him what's wrong and he's like no nothing but then eventually he's like god isn't life strange uh and Lila kind of says nothing just hoping that he'll keep going so he kind of he's kind of being yeah a bit regretful where he's like you know I have money and power and a beautiful daughter and a wonderful <gasps> house but there's an emptiness inside because 14 <sighs> years ago I made a terrible mistake um 
So, yeah, Lila is kind of like, she's starting to feel guilty because she realizes that she's been having so much fun with her mother. She hadn't realized how much seeing Grace had been tearing her father up. And like, yeah, fuck it as well, as well it might, because this is his fucking fault. Yes. Um, but he admits that he hurt the one woman he loved, sent her away, and now there's nothing he can do about it. She's got someone else. So Lila's kind of secretly delighted by this because she was suspicious that maybe they'd been growing closer and maybe there was hope for a reunion of some sort. But, um... Yeah, she so she's kind of happy, I suppose, that at least on one side, he's still in love with Grace, but she needs she reckons that Grace needs to know he still loves her. Mm. So she kind of suggests, you know, why don't you tell her how you feel? Um, And he kind of says, no, you know, it's too late. But Lila, Lila's kind of insistent. And she's like, look, you know, why, why make another mistake letting her go? It's never too late. Yeah. So he kind of falls into silence again. And Lila knows that this is, conversation is done. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, she's not willing to give up. So she thinks, yeah, they'd be a family again. The most wonderful family. Once everything goes according to plan. Hmm. So Grace returns and Lila is worried that she's been, you know, some emergency has got to summon her hmm. back to France. But she says it's some issue with a, it's just a client uh, issue. Um, and the usual office troubles, she says. Hmm. And um, George uh, booms, I hope you have a contract. And Grace says, well, of course you do, but there's no reason we should be able to give them what they want. She turns to Lila and winks and says, after all, they keep me in my designer suits. And Lila somehow smiles at this smug, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like Grace is really grating and annoying. She's dose, like, yeah. She tells stupid jokes and then it's like, oh, it's funnier in French. And it's like, uh. fuck off, Grace. <laughs> and then, yeah, she's just kind of like bragging about her suits. Apparently she's uh, the president of a multi-million dollar stationery company. Um, like, okay, I don't know. But like, yeah, she's very annoying. And uh, yeah, they're, um, what is it? She kind of talks about the time difference or something or Lila kind of wonders what the time difference is. Yeah. But uh, Lila also realizes that apparently it's time that she was gone to fucking school. So oh, uh, no. so she has to get out the gap. Well, Grace walks her out and says, I just know, want you to know how much I appreciate you inviting Pierre to come along to dinner with us tomorrow night. Um, because apparently Lila has arranged a, a fancy hmm. dinner at uh, the Cote d'Or. Um, and Lila has more news. And it's... I mean, I wish I were surprised, but I'm not when it comes to Sweet Valley. It's just arranged with the school to take a day off and spend it with Pierre. Oh, God, I know. So strange. So, yeah, like Grace is delighted about this. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so Lila kind of has just says, yeah, you know, you're right. I should get to know him better. So Grace is real happy, waves her off to school and Lila's kind of like, yeah, she's she's driving off and she's in good form because she's like, okay, we have a plan here. But because her mother like looks so natural under the under the archway, waving her off to school, she's like, in the next act, a snotty French boyfriend messes everything up. So she's kind of driving angrily uh, <laughs> and uh, and thinking about Pierre because apparently he was like, yes, I want to know, get to know you better too. Um, she's like, I bet you do, you disgusting pervert. You wish you hadn't said that after I'm through with you tomorrow. So she's uh, ruminating over her amazing plan that's going to apparently sort out Pierre once and for all. <laughs> Apparently Pierre will regret ever meeting Lila Fowler. Lila chuckled demonically. Oh, wow, I missed this the first time. <laughs> and then she says, if he survives what I have in store for him. Wonderful. I did write down here in my notes, just murder him, Lila. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she'd do it. Yeah. Like she's on, she's got Margot levels. In fact, yeah. well, she's more, 
chill than Margot. She'd be able to do it quite coldly, I think. She has a better poker face. And also she uh. could just hire someone to do it because she's that loaded. So. Oh, of course, keep her hands clean. Mm. Well, we cut to the casa where Jessica is very well organised with her fundraising. It's all going really well. Uh, the proceeds are going to go to the Sweet Valley High chapter of Students Get Drunk Driving. And mm. uh, the organisation are helping her with advertising and a pr- local printer is going to do free, you know, do the posters and signs for yeah. free. And the Seca Lake racetrack is a fan of Sam's and is going to let her use the course. So basically she's doing good and it feels great. So, uh, yeah. I mean, the scene goes into slightly too much detail about all her, <laughs> you know, admin, but we know the Sweet Valiants love some admin. They can't get enough of it. My goodness, if there's red tape, they are there. Then we cut to the Valley Mall where Lila's leading Pierre a merry dance. Oh, she is running this man absolutely ragged. And <laughs> it's very funny, to be fair. She's tearing around the buying everything and getting him to carry everything because he's kind of offering out a politeness to carry stuff for her. And she's like, yep, there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, she's delighted with her her evil plan because apparently it's barely 1.15 and he's already starting to wear down because uh, they started off in some place called Tony's Diner, uh, mm. which is apparently a notoriously bad restaurant. Uh, it sounds like a greasy spoon, which is very oh. unsweet valley, um, mm. where she recommends some like house special to Pierre, which is basically a fry up. Um, yeah, greasy apparently fry. It's, apparently it's awful because who in Sweet Valley would ever eat a greasy fry? <laughs> Um, and the coffee's terrible so it's like a bad breakfast and then they went to the beach where she got him to try out surfing while she was just like chilling out on the sand so um, fun in the sun yeah yeah, so she's literally just um yeah just wearing him down all day long and getting him to do all this stuff that he hates (laughs) in fairness like they act like surfing is like oh what is this thing but like Biarritz is like the that part of France is like the surfing capital of Europe so it's all, <laughs> people are like what is this surfboard <laughs> here's a city boy true yeah <laughs> um, so then they head to uh, the country club for tennis and I have to say this this moment did make me kind of like Pierre. I felt wrong uh, because Lila says, you know, I think your game would really improve if you quit smoking. It's a very bad habit. And Pierre says, perhaps, but right now the thought of my next cigarette is the only thing keeping me alive. <laughs> now that is quite French of him in fairness. Isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, Frenchies. Yeah. But that does sound accurate. Like. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Lila says, you better get ready for lunch. You must, must be starved. I know a great place. And a look of terror spreads across Pierre's weary face. And uh, he says, no, no, no. I am not very hungry. That breakfast was very uh, filling. But let's <laughs> for a moment, shall we? But Lila insists they go up to Beach Cove. I tell you, it is random new places all the way through this book. It's just like the Bible has been thrown out the window. Also, the cove is on a mountaintop, which doesn't really make sense if it's a cove. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. Yeah, beach cove. And as you say, yeah, they're up a mountain. Very strange. Well, uh, they head there and she basically gets a pissed. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's knocking back scotch on the rocks, apparently, because uh, he's hot and dehydrated from the tennis game because she had him tearing over and back on the court the whole time because Lila's brilliant at tennis. And uh, yeah, so she's delighted that uh, <laughs> that, uh, that this is going all to plan for her anyway. And uh, yeah, he's getting absolutely hammered at lunch, basically. Mm. So uh, once, his, once he's his truly uh, several sheets to the wind. Lila says they can go home and shower and then uh, head into the restaurant. And she's delighted with her scheme. 
We cut back to Sweet Valley where Liz gets a note from Enid showing how lack Sweet, lack sweet Valley High is about attendance. We've, we've already seen that Lila can just like call in, I don't know, take a day off school. <laughs> I know, no note needed or anything. Got to go hang out with my mother's new boyfriend. It's like, oh yeah, of course, off you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Enid's getting off early because she has to get her mother some prescription painkillers. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, look, it's it's all very strange, but the upshot of it is that Liz has no way home. Uh, she doesn't have a lift home, basically, because there's no use trying to get a ride from Jessica, who obviously isn't speaking to her still. So now she's stranded at school. So she decides to walk home because it's a lovely day and she, was, she is thinking like, well, you know, a few days ago I thought I was going to be in jail, so I should just enjoy being able to roam free. Yeah. And she thinks how lucky she was to live in Sweet Valley, the most beautiful place <laughs> in the world. Really? <laughs> She's really back to her usual self, isn't she? When she's just like, this is the best town ever. <laughs> Everything's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you might be thinking of uh, Venice, of, uh, you know, the beautiful forests of Rwanda. You might be thinking of uh, a temple in Kyoto. No, Sweet Valley. That's it's right. Home of Tony's Diner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're told even the sight of discount discs where she needed sometimes bought the latest albums brought a smile to her face wither the music shop. Oh man, harsh. <laughs> Speaking of harsh, Todd pulls up and just wrecks her buzz. Oh God, yeah. So he stops the car and is just like, need a lift. <laughs> like in fairness to Liz, she's like, the walk had been so pleasant. Why was Todd threatening to ruin it? <laughs> Did he think he could just be friends now when this was the first time he'd said two words to her since the accident? Like not to mention the fact that he was dating her sister. And it's like, yes, absolutely, yeah. Liz. Like he has no right to be coming up to her and just be like, oh, one lift? Like, oh fuck off. Who the fuck do you think you are? How about an apology instead? Uh, so she's just like, no thanks. It's such a nice day. I think I'll keep walking. So Todd is just like, oh, mm. all right. And drives off. Uh, and in fairness to Liz, she's like, no, fuck him. Rejection's a pretty tough pill to swallow, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, you're dead right. <laughs> yes, and she stays firm because for an instant she regrets treating Todd so callously, but then she remembered he hadn't given her a second thought to hit the shabby treatment he'd given her. And neither would his new girlfriend, Jessica. And she's, <laughs> Liz is tired of being the nice one, the one who gets kicked around all the time and always forgave the ones doing the kicking. If they don't care, I sure don't. She resolves aloud. aloud. Good for you, Liz. Yeah, honestly. And like she has had moments like this every so often and it never really comes to anything where she's like, I'm going to, I'm not going to be the doormat anymore and then just continues to be the doormat. But at this stage, she's just like, no, fuck this. So it's like if the trial had taught her one lesson, it was that she'd have to start looking out for herself and she's right. Good on you, Liz. So we cut to Fowler Crest where all is quiet. Everybody, no, everybody seems to have either, I guess the Fowler parents have gone to the restaurant and Mm. none of the staff are anywhere to be seen. So Lila's pleased about this and she bundles in Pierre and she does wonder if she's gone too far because (laughs) the exercise and the liquor have taken their toll. Um, So uh, she says, I'll, she grunts, I'll show you the guest shower. And she's, about to drag him down the stairs to the basement and he falls down the stairs oh god yeah and she just kind of panics lightly because she's just like oh shit didn't actually want to kill this man <laughs> um, but he kind of looks up at her when he lands at the bottom of the stairs looking completely confused and then just starts laughing hysterically so she's just like oh oopsie daisy and then he thinks this is hilarious and starts chanting oopsie daisy oopsie daisy so she kind of opens up this like storage closet and like shoves him into it saying here's the guest shower and he just collapses onto the floor of this like closet so she's like job done and closes the door and she's like right now I have two hours to get ready and head off to Malvina alone 
two hours. My God. Oh, like, God, how much is involved in this, Lila? <laughs> well, we cooked them all. And there's a very confusing sentence because when I, it's, we're told, Margot strode up to a sweet, uh, for, to a valley mall kiosk draped in Guatemala jewellery clothing and hair accessories. And I initially thought that it was Margot <laughs> who Margot. was draped. Same. It's like, oh, she's giving herself a little makeover. But no, it is in fact the kiosk that is draped in all of these bits and pieces. Because <laughs> I was just like, where is she going with all the jewelry and clothing and hair accessories? All at the one time, is it? <laughs> Very conspicuous, Margot. Like it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it is just the stall. So she steals a multicoloured belt and she heads towards Casey's. And uh, she's hoping to spy the twins or some of their pals. And mm. uh, she's She's got to wait patiently for someone to, uh, to give her information about the two most beautiful girls in Sweet Valley. And I mean, in a normal town, this would be ridiculous, but everyone here is obsessed with Wakefield. So actually, it's quite reasonable. This is it. This absolutely checks out. Like, all you should do is sit in the one spot for long enough and somebody will start talking about Jessica or Elizabeth Wakefield. Like, yeah. this is entirely reasonable from Margot. <laughs> Exactly. So she looks around and she spots various losers who couldn't possibly be pals with the Wakefields. And then she sees some gorgeous girls. Uh, but the last eavesdropping reveals that they go to SVU. Hmm. So uh, she's not doing too well. And uh, to entertain herself, she picks up. I love She keeps doing this throughout. She's just like, better kill some time here. So she picks up the Sweet Valley News. And there's a review of the lone fighter. And she laments the fact that she just never has time to go to the movies anymore. <laughs> it's just, you know, all that murder and running from the law. You know, it just doesn't give you much time for hobbies unfortunately <laughs> but then she sees a headline that uh, piques her interest well that's it she uh, yes comes across an article uh, about Wakefield organises rally <gasps> so she uh, so she devours this article and uh, yeah reads all about Jessica Wakefield who mm. recently lost her boyfriend uh, in a drunk driving accident that she's setting up this charity dirt bike rally and the proceeds of the event will go to the local chapter of SADD so uh, she sees a picture of Jessica uh, her pretty face is smiling back at Margot from a photo next to the article the spirited blonde had her arms around <laughs> the waist of her gorgeous boyfriend too bad he's dead she thought maybe <laughs> Jessica would have shared him with her sister. <laughs> oh, you don't know her at all, Margo. <laughs> you have some learning to do. Yes. <laughs> well, she tears out the story and saves it. And then she leaves Casey's and uh, she sees, I guess it's Pamela and Bruce. Yeah. Um, because it's an incredibly handsome guy with perfectly groomed dark hair and a brown leather bobber jacket. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Every time you think of Bruce wearing leathers is when he's in his Club X garb. Club X or nothing, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, she say, thinks that soon, dream, she dreamily thinks soon she'd have a boyfriend too. A good looking one who would love her for herself. Elizabeth Wakefield. <laughs> Fantastic. 10 out of 10. No notes. <laughs> Well, we cut to the car park of the coat door, which is as fancy as ever. It's got real fucking swans in a fountain. Oh my God. Like, imagine a restaurant having real fucking swans in it. It's like, yes, here's your dessert and a broken arm. Like, get <laughs> out of here. Absolutely not. <laughs> swans are fucking scary. They are savage. <laughs> well, Lila pulls up at the parking tent and... Uh, uh, offers her a hand and we get a very odd sentence because we're told like he offers her a hand and then says Lila took it and slid out of her seat placing a red pump on the pavement the attendant glanced at the silky leg attached to it and nodded 
It's so weird. And it also just sounds like there's like a fake leg in a shoe just like yeah. <laughs> standing on the driveway. It's very weird. Very strange. Well, Lila, we're told, is dressed to the nines and all is super fancy, including George and Grace, who look amazing. Though, frankly, Grace sounds way too dressed up for this restaurant. Grace sounds oh like she's God. wearing, she's like there for a black tie. This is like, affair. yeah, black tie, red carpet, like... They're just going to dinner. Like we yeah. had fucking kids from Sweet Valley go on fancy dates <laughs> to this fucking place. So everybody needs to calm down. <laughs> well, she could be Lila's sister, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> There's a new hot mom in town, Alice. <laughs> And she's apparently the most beautiful woman anybody's ever seen. You know what? Alice Wakefield left for the dead. Oh, well, now, at least we don't hear that anybody wants to steal Grace's face. And if I remember right, <laughs> Grace was at that spa in paradise. Was she? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, if she looks like Lila, her face is probably too flat to steal. <laughs> it wouldn't work on another skull. <laughs> Scrape it off with a butter knife. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to hang it off, really. No bones. Can't work with this at all. I Know The Face is a movie podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network, hosted by me, Stephen Porzio. And me, Andrew Carroll. Our show is all about character actors, the type of performers you'll see pop up in supporting roles in blockbusters, the type of people you know the faces but not the names. Each episode we pick one particular character actor and discuss a couple of their movies, shining a light on the performer's career while giving listeners plenty of movie recommendations. So the show is a must for cinema lovers. Subscribe to I Know That Face wherever you get podcasts and follow us on Twitter at I Know That Face P1. So George and Grace um, are apparently lost in each other's eyes and they don't even notice Lila approaching, which makes her optimistic. Bear in mind that Grace is still officially going out with Pierre. I mean, yeah, that is true. This is very uh, single woman (laughs) behaviour from Grace. (laughs) And also bear in mind that in the book before last, um, that Lila heard Grace sobbing and George sort of giving out to her. Oh, yeah. We never found out what was going on there either. Yeah, they really just dropped a whole bunch of threads with this whole storyline. <laughs> they really did. But we then cut back to the mall where Margot decides to go on a shopping spree with her ill-gotten gains from all her crimes. <laughs> and then she sees a sign. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> Valley Opticians have gone... In an interesting direction with their advertising. <laughs> and this is their absolutely deranged slogan. <laughs> so the poster in their window says, Why get stuck with the eyes you were born with? In the centre were two photographs of the same woman, first with sunken cheeks and brown eyes, then a smile across her face and piercing violet orbs. And at the bottom, the question continued, When you'd look better with someone else's. <laughs> not like a different colour nope. so oh my god this is where Tatty Mule got her start <gasps> oh, <laughs> it's all shit. coming together <laughs> she was just browsing that ball too and decided oh to god. this was like, the, the job for her what an absolutely unhinged advertising <laughs> campaign <laughs> Well, a sadistic grin spreads across Mar- spreads across Margot's face, and uh, she goes in and impatiently stood at the counter, 
like they use the word impatiently in the space of like three sentences uh, because she impatiently shifts from foot to foot as she yeah. says, I'd like to get a pair of tinted contact lenses. <laughs> the optician says, what color? Blue green, Margot says, her voice dreamy and far away. The color of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my God. And I remember this particular scene so fucking clearly, like reading it. I remember where I was sitting, like in the classroom in school. And I was just like, holy shit, this is incredible. <laughs> it's like my two strongest Margot memories are literally this and a bit where she actually ventures into the house that isn't in this yeah. book. And I was just like, I was so happy to read this again. And I was like, yes, it's still fucking great. <laughs> It really is. I I lolled when she said the colour of the Pacific Ocean. So good. <laughs> but we got away from Margot's delightful deeds back to the coat door where Lila plays the ingenue and asks about Pierre and is told he didn't show up. She's like, oh, that's strange. I left him over two hours ago. I hope nothing's happened to him. But George isn't listening. Uh Reminder that George really hasn't atoned for his terrible behaviour. Not at all. (laughs) Just just bear that in mind with everything that follows in this scene. (laughs) Because George gives a meaningful sort of clearing of the throat, which Lila knows well from, you know, various times she's got into trouble and he's about to give out to her. So she thinks she's been rumbled and he's he's, uh, Mm. he's aware of her scheme. And then, this is so inappropriate on so many (laughs) different levels. He says... I have something to ask you, Grace, before Pierre arrives. (laughs) Can you tell the listeners what he asks? Oh my God, yeah, because then he looks at Lila and he's like, Lila, it's important that you're here too. I'm Uh, sorry, is it? Is is this a good idea in case she says no to what you're going to ask? Also, everybody keep in mind that he's literally just said, before Pierre gets here. Uh, (laughs) Because he takes Grace's hand and says, will you marry me? (laughs) Will you let us see a family, a real family again? Like, uh, like, she's been back for a week (laughs) and she's been with her boyfriend (laughs) the whole time. And it's just the fact that he's like, will you let us be a family? It's like, this is all your fault, George. Like, you're the one who fucked everything up. So like, don't be coming in here asking if Grace will let them be a family when you banished her from the fucking country, essentially. Like, it's the nerve of him. (laughs) And also, don't do this in front of Lila. Oh my God. You've, you know, wrecked her, her life already. Yeah, depriving her of her mother uh, intentionally <laughs> and spitefully, and now you're like, do you know what? I'm just going to mess with her head a bit more now. <laughs> that's, that's great parenting there, George. Oh God, but yeah, like Lila kind of realizes that no matter what Grace says, someone's going to be hurt. But then it's like Lila just hoped it would be Pierre Le Pew and not the family. <laughs> Well, Grace says, I don't know what to say. And her eyes fill with tears. I've been so happy these past few weeks. And she grasps Lila's hand and says, but Pierre, say yes, Mr. Fowler, <laughs> Fowler urged. But then who should make his appearance? <laughs> Why, well, it's <laughs> absolutely hammered. Pierre because there's like a terrible commotion on the other side of the restaurant the maitre d' is like throwing his arms out to protect people from even seeing what's going on people are holding napkins to their noses to avoid inhaling the smell of stale booze and this like noisy customer apparently yeah he's Pierre is basically just shouting and roaring everything is slurred it's all inaudible apart from a stream of curses that he hurled, that he hurled with ease at the maitre d' and George is like what on earth is this it's a disgraceful interruption um 
And of course, Lila knows immediately it's fucking Pierre. And she's like, well, this is even better than not showing up at all because now he's here making an absolute holy show of himself. And uh, yeah, Grace is mortified uh, to see that it is in fact Pierre. (laughs) But then really weirdly, Lila gets up uh, as Pierre is being like manhandled out of the restaurant (laughs) and follows them out. But Grace and uh, George just stay put at the table. They do. They and just sit like, there as, her... as, as Lila follows out the very drunk boyfriend of her mother. It's very strange yeah. from them. Grace, who is the reason that Pierre is in France at all or in America at all, just uh, and was like literally saying, but Pierre was yeah. second ago. No <laughs> yeah. interest in what's happened to him, <laughs> why he's there. None. It's very strange. The whole thing is really weird. Well, uh, Pierre rages. You little scoundrel! You purposely locked me in that closet! Just wait till I tell your mother what you were up to today! But then Lila dramatically plays her trump card and she marches towards her adversary. And when she stands in front of him, she gives a confident laugh. Ha <laughs> 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 Then places her hands on her hips and leans forward and says, I want you with the first plane back to France and out of my mother's life forever. And Pierre spits, in your dreams, you spoiled, obnoxious little. But then Lila releases the real ammunition, we're told. Mm, Yes. So she says, I know what you did to Amy at the luncheon the other day. If you leave now, it'll be our little secret. If not, I'll tell everyone, including my mother, what a horrible creep you are. So she turns on her heels and returns inside. Uh, And it's like, amazingly, her parents appeared unaffected by Pierre's intrusion. And it's like, yeah, like a weird amount. (laughs) A very weird amount. But uh, I guess we must bid uh, not au revoir, but adieu to Pierre. That's it. He's gone. That's it. Like, that's how that, it's so fucking weird. As far as we know, Grace never actually follows up on any of that. Whereas like, we are still technically together, but nope, doesn't matter. Uh, Yeah, because she and George have moved their chairs closer to uh, to each other and are gazing adoringly uh, at each other. And um, yes, this it says, amazingly, they were unaffected. I mean, it certainly is amazing. Uh, But Lila's Lila's heart uh, nearly jumps out of her chest because what should be sparkling under the light of the chandelier? (laughs) It's the diamond engagement ring uh, that George, I guess, had with him uh, because Grace has said yes. Yeah, despite the fact that she has, uh, she lives with a partner <laughs> who was here a few minutes ago. They live together. It's so weird. And uh, yeah, she's only been back uh, with George, who treated her appallingly for two weeks. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's how they will. And uh, we, <laughs> we cut to the Sweet Valley Library. Um, it's some time later. Yeah. And Amy and Lila can't believe Jess is holed up there, but it's the only place she can work on the rally. By the way, we're told she's even called Mr. and Mrs. Woodruff, Sam's parents. It's kind of mad she doesn't seem to have talked to them since the since she died. As far as we know, like, yeah, she hasn't, because she didn't go to the funeral. She was too upset. Yeah. So it's like, has she even seen them like since all this terrible Don't thing so. unfolded? But yeah, and it's like it's like she was kind of surprised by how how painful the conversation was. But apparently they were so supportive by the time she hung up, she was more sure than ever that she was doing the right thing. But it's like it's kind of well past time that uh, that Sam's parents got something of a look in with these storylines. Yeah. They have just been completely pushed to the side and forgotten about. And it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. It's all about Jessica, his Pretty girlfriend much. of like two months. Yeah. And about his his parents yes and he is a child <laughs> anyway uh, she uh, she promises after this weekend she'll never enter a library again ha 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 um, 
and Amy and Lila leave. Amy's going to cheerleading practice. Jessica mm. says she'll follow her on. And Lila has to get home because the dress designer is coming to talk to Grace about restoring. She's wearing the wedding dress she wore first time round. Um, and the dress designer is going to restore it. I mean, I guess it was, it was 18 years ago. So it's not that long. It's not like you're wearing a Victorian <laughs> Miss Havisham dress. Like, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um. But, uh, yeah, they leave Jessica, who, um, you know, is really focusing on her work. And apparently it's helped take her mind off the incredible pain that consumed her after Sam's death and mm. helped assuage some of the guilt she she feels about Liz. Because she does actually feel bad and she does want to confess all to Liz and try and get back to normal. But she wonders, maybe this time Jessica had gone too far. <laughs> you think? I mean, Jesus, you know that you think about it. Maybe. <laughs> Now that someone's dead because of her actions. <laughs> yeah, that might be it, actually. That probably was the line back there a little yeah. while ago. <laughs> Not only somebody is dead, but Liz has been in hell for yes. the last few months. First, like, just blaming herself and then being on fucking trial, trial. for the almost sent to jail only for the fucking magic witness that turned up at the last minute. <laughs> like, just ridiculous. Well, Jessica wonders if the other driver hadn't come forward with his confession, would Jessica have revealed her role in the crime that night? Or would she have allowed Elizabeth to suffer in a youth detention hall for an offence she'd had no control over? I mean, she absolutely yes, would. she would. Yeah. She was going to. That was how that was all shaken out. <laughs> but she does think that there's no way that anyone, even Liz, would forgive her for what mm. she'd done. And, uh... I mean, I wish I could think so because you do not deserve to be forgiven as quickly as you ultimately are. Very true. Well, we cut to Winston's Volkswagen bug and he's giving Liz a lift home, but it's uncharacteristically awkward. You know, these two really are good friends and it's not normal for them to be silent. But Liz has a lot on, his mi- on her mind, she says. And Winston guesses what it is. Yeah, so he figures that it's probably to do with Todd. Um, but he's kind of like, yeah, he does. He feels like he shouldn't like push her too much because she obviously doesn't want to talk. So he uh, he just says, you know, you do know that Todd and Jessica aren't going out anymore um, because, of course, she she wouldn't know yeah. this because neither of them are fucking talking to her at the minute. Uh, so she didn't realize that was the case. And he kind of blurts out that Todd really misses her. Um, but he can also tell that uh, she's not going to respond as he might have hoped. So he's kind of just trying to make some kind of, yeah, push towards getting her and Todd back on speaking terms at least. But um, Liz is actually really angry uh, and she just says, yeah. look, Winston, I don't think this is any of your business. Uh, so Winston was like, oh, well, that did get worse, even though he didn't think yeah. it could. So uh, yeah, she kind of thanks him for the ride very curtly and heads off. So Winston's kind mm. of like, oh, okay, put back in his place there. So just like shakes his head as he drives away. We cut to the boarding house where an angry Margot was trying and failing to get hold of Biker James, who she she met in Kelly's the other week. She got her number, uh, but his phone is engaged, and mm. she got his number from Jay, the Kelly's barman, who was easily charmed by her, and uh, he had and and basically flirted with her, and we're told she had to bite her tongue till she'd gotten the the information she needed. And as soon as she held the precious paper, piece of paper in her hands, she was out of the bar like a light. So long, sucker. She's she's got such like an old timey dame vibe about her, doesn't she, Marco? I think that's half the reason we like her so much. I think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, when the phone uh, remains engaged, Marco just has to, you know, give it a rest for a moment, decides to relax in a room with the paper and says, let's see what's going on. She says (laughs) aloud. She opens the paper. Got to keep abreast of local news, Marco. 
Wonderful. Yeah. So she reads all about how George uh, and Grace are getting married because like computer magnate to wed ex-wife. So she uh, she reads all about the Fowler romance uh, and uh, yeah, how and kind of thinks, oh, Grace obviously wants his money, but then realizes that Grace has her own successful business <gasps> in Paris. Uh, but yes, the final details apparently focus on the arrangements and reveal that the event will be catered by Valley Caterers, which has catered many important events for Hollywood stars uh, and that the whole thing is going to take place at the Fowler mansion. And Ms. Rimaldi will be attended by her 16 year old daughter Lila so Margot kind of sees a photo of the three of them together uh, and realizes that she's seen Lila before yes uh, she was one of the girls that she saw in the mall when she first arrived at Sweet Valley and she knows that she was she remembers them talking and uh, that they were friends of the Wakefields so La- uh, Margot realizes that this wedding was going to be such a you know a giant social event uh, Je- Elizabeth and Jessica will definitely be there and getting into that wedding would mean Margot would have the chance to observe the twins <gasps> up close but how is she going to get invited to a ritzy society do like that <laughs> unless she didn't wait for an invitation. Oh, plans, plans on plans. <laughs> <laughs> well, she tries James again and finally gets through and uh, says she's got a proposition for him uh, that would be mutually advantageous. <laughs> and he says, well, that's pretty fancy talk for a girl <laughs> who hangs out at Kelly's. I mean, Margot is full on Barbara Stanwyck in, uh, <laughs> in Double Indemnity. She's got a, she's getting up sap. To be her Patsy. Oh, she is just full of yes. crime. She is a noir dame down to her bones. She's fantastic. <laughs> yes. Because, uh, yeah, when he says it's pretty fancy talk for a girl who hangs out at Kelly's, she says, you'll soon find out I'm not just any girl. I'm more like a businesswoman. Um, and her proposition is strictly business. So, uh, yeah, she reveals her plan and it's about the dirt bike race. Yeah. So he's heard about it before. He's like, oh, yeah, the memorial rally for that Woodruff guy. So she's like, right, I'd like you to enter. And after you win, I'll need you to do some follow up work. So he's like, well, no, my bike's in the shop and I don't bother with these small time local events. Because apparently he's on a completely different level now in his dirt biking career. Uh, So she says she offers, look, would you consider uh, sinking beneath your level for, say, two thousand (gasps) dollars? So so that would be enough to get his bike fixed and still leave him with plenty. So he agrees to this and uh, they arrange to meet at Kelly's tonight at around 11 o'clock. So uh, Jack Margot reaches under a mattress and takes out her file of newspaper <laughs> clippings because she's got a whole fucking folder. Fuck yes, she does. This bitch does her research. <laughs> she will fit in in Sweet Valley because mm. she loves the admin. Loves the admin. She's already stolen a silk blouse. Like, yeah. Oh, she, fancy, she fancies Ned. She's just <laughs> <laughs> Wakefield. It's perfect. <laughs> to the matterboard. <laughs> Well, uh, she thinks he's James will uh, was is going to be basically the perfect honey trap, uh-huh. and the bike, the dirt bike rally was going to be a major success for Margot <laughs> because James is the perfect wolf in sheep's clothing, and Margot would be, we're told, one step closer to the ultimate triumph. Hell yes, she's she's just got all her bases covered. She is taking care of business. Well, we cut to the LA train station where Josh has been asking all the staff he can find whether they remember Margot. But of course, none of them, you know, they give him short shrift. Mm. And he uh, he is tempted to leave Huntinger to the pros, but then he's like, they're doing fuck all, basically. I mean, I guess that fits in with Sweet Valley depiction of the police. Fair. <laughs> um, but finally, he has a break. He finds a conductor who remembers Margot. Uh, and she got off at San Diego. He remembers helping her down. She had uh, something with her. 
Uh, yeah, this this fucking guy. I'm so mad at this guy <laughs> with his fucking photographic memory. Because, yeah, he says uh, that apparently Margot didn't talk much uh, on the train, kept her head buried in her newspaper, the Sweet Valley News, as if you'd remember what paper I some know. random girl was reading. Come on now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Josh asks, is it possible she got off the train somewhere besides San Diego? And the guy's like, no, no, in San Diego, the platforms are much lower and we have to assist people off. And he's like, I helped your sister myself. Oh, yeah, because Josh has said that she's his sister. Because obviously yeah. everyone's like... Why, why are you looking for this girl? Yeah. <laughs> so he's got this like story locked and loaded that she's like his sister who ran away from home and he's trying to find her. So people kind of take pity on him. Yeah. So yeah, so this guy has has given him his first real lead uh, yes. that, uh, that Margot was on a train to San Diego reading the Sweet Valley News. Well, we cut to the former Hershey bar and Jessica can't sleep and then she hears Liz having a nightmare and we're told, although she was glad for the distraction from her own <laughs> distressing thoughts, Jessica couldn't bear the hurt and her sister screams. Like, everyone's thought process is so strange. <laughs> oh my God, it gets stranger because she thinks, okay, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I've got to end Elizabeth's misery. Hmm. So she's running through to Liz, uh, to Liz's room, and she nearly trips on the jungle prom queen sash. She'd carelessly dropped um, on the floor in a pile of clothes the night before Lila's luncheon. It was the first time she'd looked at it since she'd taken it off the night of the prom. She pulled the crumpled prize out. She'd pulled the cup. She'd pulled <laughs> the crumpled prize out of her drawer, hoping to cheer herself up. But the reminder of that night had only made her feel worse. Of course, it fucking did. Why would you take that out to cheer yourself up? You psychopath how could it be anything but depressing to look at anything to do with that night like I don't know why that sash isn't in the fucking bin it's really weird that you'd well okay whatever that you keep it because you weren't thinking straight but that you'd think it could actually cheer you up it's like ah a reminder of that awful night when everything (laughs) terrible happened and nothing's been the same since like no because she's like oh that was another triumph for me good times (laughs) another win for old Jessica (laughs) (laughs) but she uh, she she doesn't get distracted by that. She actually goes into Liz and reaches out and hugs her sister. Yeah, she comforts her because like Liz is asleep. So she kind of wakes her uh, and like, yeah, has her in her arms. And she kind of yeah. thinks, my God, you know, I'm I really need my sister. And then this is awful. And like Liz obviously doesn't really know what's happening at this stage yeah. because she's still kind of half asleep and dopey and kind of waking up. Uh, but yeah, she kind of thinks to herself, how could she have been so selfish? Uh, and kind of thinks, you know, how many times has Liz been like haunted by these visions? Um, because, oh yeah, Liz is kind of half awake and kind of sobbing yeah. and saying that she's she's seeing Sam's body as they drive him away. I did that to him. It was all my fault. So like, I suppose Jessica s- suddenly kind of realizes like, just how traumatized Liz is from <sighs> this whole thing. Um, so like their conscience is finally kind of just a little scrapey scrape. Maybe this was a bad thing that you did. Uh, so yeah, she kind of realizes the depth of Liz's suffering at this point. She does. And uh, she's like, this wasn't about winning a contest anymore. Oh, go- bravo, <laughs> Jessica. Like, your PTSD suffering sister has like been screaming herself awake every night for weeks. And now you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, she's actually feeling kind of bad. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So she realizes she has to tell her the truth and that Liz was completely innocent and she just wants her to be happy again. And it's, you know, she really is serious. She thinks it's the most difficult decision of her life, but she has to do it. And she said she makes sure Liz can hear her and is awake and is like, look, are you listening to me? You know, can you Hmm. understand what I'm saying? And Liz can. And she just says, Liz, but then fucking Alice comes in. 
more great fucking parenting for my <laughs> But yeah, I mean, okay, in fairness, yeah, you hear your daughter screaming, yeah, probably are going to check on her. <laughs> so yeah, Alice has come to the door and is like, is everything okay? And she's like staring at the girls and kind of starts to realise that, oh my God, they're actually like in the same room and together yeah. and not like fighting. <laughs> so she kind of... um kind of doesn't want to spoil things by coming any closer. So Liz is like, oh, it was just a nightmare. But it's just those few seconds do just kind of break the moment. Yeah. So Jessica kind of takes a step back and is like, oh my God, I can't believe I was about to tell her everything. So she kind of sees that like Alice is delighted at this, but then is like, no, you know what? I can't do this now. She decides her confession will have to wait until she once again found the courage to admit her crime. But she does actually, I mean, at least I guess she knows she has to do it now. Well, this yeah. is it, because at least this isn't because all along it's kind of she'll have a moment like this and then again she'll just be like, no, fuck her. She took my boyfriend yeah. away from me. But this time <laughs> she hasn't kind of like immediately hardened again. So she is kind of like, I am going to have to deal yeah. with this at some point. So at least this is progress for her in that it's more putting it off than like, I'm never doing this. So, yeah, exactly. Hmm. Well, we got to Big Mesa and uh, or Mesa and Margot has somehow got a car. We're told that she rented it this morning using a fake driver's license she had taken out of another guest's purse at the guest house. So the neighbour had a fake license oh. and Margot somehow knew that was fake. Okay, yeah, I didn't think about this too much and I just was just like, oh, it's somebody else's, so it's fake because Margot was using it. Not that it's actually a yeah. fake license, but like, yeah, that does read like someone had a fake license that she is now in possession of. I don't yeah. know. Because <laughs> later she's renting a car to do some crimes. Once for that now, but again, we're told it was like she'd rented it with a fake license so they couldn't track her down. It's like, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. I guess, look, yeah, I don't know. She I, has a license anyway. It's not hers. <laughs> Let's not question it. She's also in disguise. Um, <laughs> so I know we'll get a description of her outfit later. Let's just say she's wearing a red wig. Oh my God. <laughs> amazing. And, she, and she has driven to Valley Caterers, who you might remember are doing the Fowler wedding. And ah. she meets Karen <laughs> D'Angelo, <laughs> who is a manager called Karen. And, uh, <laughs> Come on, Karen. <laughs> and tells her they just hired loads of temporary staff. And this enrages Margot. And Margot is so easily triggered by Ms. D'Angelo. It is shocking. It's hilarious. Like, she is so <laughs> funny because Margot's obviously disappointed that there's no vacancies because she's like, no, look, we've just taken on a load of people. So she's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. She said, trying to contain her anger as much as she wanted to wrap her hands around <laughs> Miss D'Angelo's neck. She knew it wouldn't do her any good to lose control. So I kind of love that Margot is only every seconds away from just fully murdering people who just inconvenience her. It's not even, oh, they might turn me into the police. It's like, what do you mean you won't give me a job? How do you like being dead? Like, Margot, chill come on <laughs> keep the head please <laughs> never <laughs> we want you to succeed <laughs> she is never going to chill um, and she lays it on thick to Ms. D'Angelo like she's you know goes on about how much she needs and wants the job but it's no can do basically like they mm. um, Miss Angelo says oh she can or D'Angelo says oh she can do is just take Margot's details let her know there's a vacancy and then she's summoned to attend some sort of office emergency leaving Margot alone and Margot makes a move oh Margot makes the most of every opportunity she gets <laughs> because uh, all the kind of forms of this new staff uh, are just there on the desk so she kind of flips through them settles on one halfway through the pile and like scribbles down some information from it so she's got some information now about somebody who's been taken on as temporary yeah. staff so just as she's finished writing uh 
Ms. D'Angelo comes back. So she hands her over. Look, here's my name and number. I hope I hear from you soon. So uh, so she heads off out the door, but she's confident that she would finally get to meet the twins in person at the Fowler wedding. Hmm. Well, we cut to the Casa del Wakefield and Jessica is up early for rally day and she feels energised and, and just good. You know, mm. she's for once, she actually feels like she has a purpose and she yeah. doesn't have all this, you know, rage and bitterness coursing through her veins. And Stephen sort of slags her off for getting up early and it's it's like old times. So we mm. get a, a nice uh, Prince Albert moment. Oh, we'd love to see him around. Yeah, he, um, what is it? Yeah, because he's... He's talking about who's going to win the race with yeah. Michael Harris or Artie Western. And Jessica's like, what makes you think it won't be April Dawson? And it's like, Prince Albert lifted his head and looked up at Stephen as if he's like, yes, Stephen. <laughs> what about April? <laughs> and Stephen whispers Prince Albert, you're right, boy. And pats him on the head. Stop while I'm ahead. <laughs> so uh, Jessica asks if Billy is, uh, is around. And Stephen says, only the truly hearty are up at this hour. Remember, Billy's not a Wakefield. And Jessica's a twinkle in her eye. She thinks, not yet. <laughs> I mean, they're fucking 18. And also, oh, not everybody changes their name when they get married, Jessica. No. <laughs> um, but Stephen asks about Liz. And that sort of puts a slight damper mm. in Jessica's mood and she's like because he asks how things are with Liz and she's like that's none of your business and uh, then we're told she's glad she didn't confess all to Liz last night because she thinks her parents probably wouldn't let her go to the rally if they knew <laughs> I mean you think <laughs> like yeah, and the rest Jessica <laughs> like, big picture come on now <laughs> Well, we cut to the track for the dirt bike rally and Liz mm. is there too. The whole Wakefield driver are right at the starting line so they can see the beginning and finish of the race because it is a circuit. And there's a lot of bustle and fuss and uh, a lot of Bridgewater kids are there. The Sweet Valley High uh, gang are, are there too. Like Bruce's unmistakable voice. Um, whoops, come on, kill Big Mesa. You think he'd have... <laughs> you know, learned a lesson about that little rivalry. <laughs> yeah, like that rivalry is really not not it right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, everybody's having a great time and Liz sees Todd and her heart sinks and she thinks clearly he didn't need Elizabeth to have fun. He was enjoying the rally without her. Oh. So then Jessica takes centre stage and welcomes everybody to the first annual Sam Woodruff Memorial Dirt Bike Rally. And then she gets serious and she talks mm. about how great Sam was and how his life was cut short by a tragic mistake and drinking and driving is wrong. And Liz basically takes this as a attack on her. Yeah, she's taken it personally, but also like the absolute nerve of Jessica getting up there talking about how wrong it is I to be drinking know. and driving when she's the one who fucking spiked the drink in the first place. But like, yeah, she yeah just continues anyway that... Uh, that, you know, what a terrible thing it is to do and what a tragedy it was. And I suppose Liz kind of thought after Jess had woken her up from that dream that maybe they were kind of heading towards some kind of reconciliation. But now she's hearing Jessica's speech. She reckons it's made it clear yeah. that they're still a long way from that kind of thing. Um, it it yeah, is so weird that... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, go ahead. It is weird the two days were told have passed since that night and mm. nothing... They didn't follow up on it like Liz didn't sort of, you know, give a tentative glance across the... The breakfast muffins or whatever but, uh, <laughs> across the pancakes thanks for yeah. waking me up that time like yeah it's like they just haven't spoken since then which is a bit weird yeah so Liz wants to leave uh, but she can't get out of the lively crowd by the way we're told Stephen got more involved than some of the high schoolers <clears throat> circling his fist in the air and letting out a series of loud hoots oh Stephen <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, Chrome Dome is also there and he's, you know, doing the whole, I thought Jess would be like standing there like in Greece, like yeah. just, you know, holding a little flag up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's Chrome Dome. Bit of an anticlimax, yeah. I must say. <laughs> yeah. So we started to do the whole ready, steady, go thing. But at the last minute, Jessica has an announcement. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she scampers back up to the top of the platform uh, and says there's been a late entry. <laughs> he calls himself. <laughs> black lightning <laughs> <laughs> go black lightning go black lightning <laughs> oh god yeah so Jessica's pointing at this other guy who's turned up uh, so Liz looks over and there's a helmeted figure in faded blue jeans and a white t-shirt standing next to a sleek black bike and like some girls in the audience start squealing in delight at the sight of this man so just like runs down gives him his number uh, his like racer number or whatever and yeah the race eventually gets to start after this little dramatic uh, pause but yeah they are off and it's happening now <laughs> how is Black Lightning by the way just doing this race in blue jeans and a white t-shirt when we have seen on the tv show that dirt bikers wear like full you know they are biker fully, gear leathers kitted out like yeah. fucking a cross between a power ranger and an american footballer like they are <laughs> <laughs> full-on outfits with these things but yeah apparently he's just tipping along in his jeans and a t-shirt yes he's still good he doesn't fall so he doesn't need protective clothing oh good point good point <laughs> well we get pages and fucking pages mm. of race talk but all we need to know is that there's a basically a photo finish at the end with black lightning and Artie, and nobody can see who came over first um, so Jessica has to announce the winner to the crowd and she's delighted by the drama we're told she felt like a queen ready to tell her <laughs> subjects the most important news of the kingdom yeah, she actually hates to end the moment by announcing the winner but obviously that's what everybody wants to know <laughs> so, so she delicately clears her throat and announces the winner is Black Lightning <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and he's still wearing his helmet so she can't see his face and she keeps she begs him silently oh why won't you take off that silly thing so I can see who you really are and as though he'd heard her thoughts black lightning's hand crossed the bottom of his helmet (laughs) 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 and uh, Jessica's uh, uh, amazed because black Black lightning was the most handsome guy (sighs) Jessica had ever seen since the last most handsome guy she had ever seen I want to see her like like scorecard or like what the kind of league table of most handsome guys she's ever seen is because there's been a lot of them in fairness they're just getting hotter and hotter like every time she sees another one I guess she gets lost in his baby blue eyes yeah he is a hottie uh, so he's kind of uh, reaching towards her and she's lost in the moment and thinking oh my god is he really reaching out to me and then eventually cops on and is like oh yeah he wants the trophy uh, so, so she hands him the trophy and congratulates him and uh, yeah he doesn't respond but he didn't leave either instead he remained on the victory stand <laughs> locking his hypnotising eyes into hers Jessica couldn't tear herself away this was there was an electric chemistry between her and this mysterious rider and she knew this wouldn't be the last she saw of black lightning (laughs) she is so horny she's even after somebody at her dead boyfriend's memorial dirt bike rally like she cannot be contained the horn does not know any bounds it's true (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh, she's delighted and you know who else is delighted it's Margot. 
Because oh, this was all her scheme. wonderful. Yeah, so Margot was in the crowd surveying all of this. Uh, an evil smile spreading across her face because she's the best. Uh, yes, yeah, so she was a little worried, but he didn't let her down. She says, lucky for you. <laughs> so, so yeah, she's congratulating herself on a job well done uh, and is just, yeah, watching everyone celebrate. And uh, yeah, but she sees someone kind of notice her who then like hmm. nudges his friend to look at her and she kind of panics and thinks, oh God, has Josh sent someone to, to track me down? But then she sees these two guys look across to the Wakefields. So she realized, okay, they're just noticing that I look a bit like the twins. Yeah. But like, as far as we know, Margot is a fucking carbon copy of the twins, just with different yeah. kind of hair. So oh. it's a bit weird that no one that she's met yet in Sweet Valley is like, my yeah. God, you look just like the Wakefields. I mean, she looks enough like them that within a couple of books, or possibly even the next book, she mm-hmm. is like fooling yes. Alice. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yet here, it's just like, well, I, I mean, I guess the wig is doing a lot of work, but... Um, <laughs> It must be a really but, good wig. <laughs> she's not even wearing like sunglasses or anything, you know. She's just going around with that little Wakefield face, and <laughs> um, somehow everybody is just like, oh, "You look vaguely familiar." By the way, I do like the fact that when she thinks that Josh has sent these uh, or this boy to track her down, she basically decides to murder him. She's like, "Well, I better see to him." But then, then she realizes he was just uh, looking at the Wakefields. <laughs> brilliant like I just love it she's just she will murder someone at the drop of a hat like just if she suspects anything you were dead (laughs) (laughs) so she decides she'll have to be more careful about her disguises from now Mm. on Um, and uh, she watches James take his helmet off and it's clear that Jessica thinks he's too good to be true and Margot thinks he is you idiot and that trapping Jessica Wakefield had been almost too easy like a fly in a spider's web. I mean, you clearly do understand that horniness is her weakness, Margot. So bravo, mm. you've like you've got her number. Do you know this is it? She has her down to a T. Like she knows exactly what'll work on Jessica and she's nailed it. So uh, she exchanges glances with James and thinks that thanks to him, soon she'll know everything about the twins. Uh and soon Liz will be out of her way. <gasps> Oh my God. <laughs> so we coached to Sweet Valley High a very specific time later, a week and two days, in fact. So specific, considering how vague they usually are about times yeah. and timelines. It's like, oh, okay, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here, lads. So Lila and Jessica are first to arrive in the cafeteria. And Lila's raving on about the wedding plans. And uh, she says extremely creepily, I feel like it's my wedding. Grace consults me on absolutely everything. That's hmm. a normal thing to say about your parents. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to marry daddy. No, Lila. No, no. <laughs> See what I mean about this book being weirdly incest? It is now that you say it. It's hard uh, not to notice. <laughs> well, Jessica's happy for Lila, but she keeps wanting to talk about herself and just <laughs> dropping hints like it seems like you've been as you've, you've been as busy as I have. But mm-hmm. Lila just bangs on about how Grace is giving Fowler Crest a total makeover. <gasps> yeah, they're getting rid of all the drab mahogany tables and leather furniture and she's going to replace it all with contemporary European everything which could not be more vague if yeah. she tried Ikea? <laughs> Ikea <laughs> get a few Billy bookcases in Billy there bookcases, like some ribba picture frames and you're laughing <laughs> <laughs> So finally, uh, Jessica has the opportunity to to rave about James because she says, I know what you mean about not having any free time. I've been with James practically every moment. Um, and Lila does take the bait. So Jessica says that James is absolutely gorgeous and so masculine too. And the best part is we have everything in common. <laughs> yeah, so Lila's like, okay, like what? Uh 
And Jessica's only delighted to get to talk about him because it's the first time she's actually said to anyone just how crazy she is about James. Uh, so, yeah, she reckons they had clicked from the start and she reveals that everything I want to do, he wants to do. So Lila's like, well, then I assume you've been to Miller's Point. <laughs> and Jessica says, I've been to heaven. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think they did finally put their hands in each other's pants and had a hey. good time. <laughs> At the minimum. It sure sounds like it. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, they spent the entire weekend together and he said he loved hearing her tell all about herself. Um, And uh, she says, I barely have time to ask him anything about himself because he's asking so many questions about me and my family. He says he wants to know absolutely everything there is to know about me. The whole thing is hilariously suspicious. Oh, my God. Incredibly so. But because it's Jessica, again, Margot is playing her... (laughs) like to a T here because she's just like well okay Jessica's a dumbass who's really horny so here's a really hot guy who's just going to ask you loads of questions and Jessica likes nothing better than talking about herself uh-huh. so like this is ex- it's all she's ever wanted from a relationship a hot guy who <laughs> listened to her bang on endlessly about herself yeah and it's really specific questions it's like where do you and your friends hang out what classes do you do at school and also he says she's the ideal subject for his photography oh my god God, this guy is so not playing it cool. It's hilarious. Like, it's so obvious, but because it's Jessica, she's just loving every second of it. So all he wants to do is hear about her and take pictures of her. And she's just like, yeah, obviously this is the perfect relationship. And Lila's like, well, do you have any photos of him? But uh, apparently he won't let me take any of him because he doesn't want to waste a single shot. Um, And says, as if it would be a waste to photograph his incredible body. Oh my God. Yeah, they've definitely gotten up to some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lila is rightly concerned, uh, not about how suspicious James is. She seems to just take that for granted that he'd like be so obsessed with Jessica, but just about her being sort of on the rebound after all the recent craziness. But um, Jessica, uh, you know, doesn't think much of this and Mm. she realises her relationship with James was too good for most people to understand so she says don't worry she says blithely I know I've been down in the dumps since Sam died (laughs) down in the dumps yeah I guess (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh, little thing with Todd did nothing to help matters but it's time to start living my life again and uh, she's sure James will be around to keep her out of the dumps for good there you go yeah Meanwhile, Margot's in a phone booth, checks in on James, who says he knows more about Jessica Wakefield than most guys do about girls they've been dating for years. (laughs) Margot kind of warns him. She's like, you know, be careful now or she'll catch on. And James is like, no, Jessica's way too into me to suspect a thing. Uh, Fantastic. So uh, Margot is hiding her face yet from any cars that speed past because she's really just on high alert now, I think, after, Mm -hmm. you know, having a few close calls or feeling that way at least and... Uh, she's a bit paranoid about Josh so at this point she's in a curly blonde wig and wire rimmed glasses because I just love that she's just got like a bag of disguises on the go <laughs> she's like Sydney in Alias yes. oh my God, she is um, yeah so she needs to meet James again uh, and they decide instead of going to Kelly's because it'll be suspicious if they keep meeting there so she stops for a second and thinks hmm, do you know where the shady lady is <laughs> She's really hitting all the great spots. And uh, yeah, so they're arranging to meet up there so she can uh, get some more information about Jessica and uh, find out like the layout of the Wakefield's (laughs) house, her interests and all the photographs he's been taking of her as well. So, oh my God, amazing. (laughs) 
Well, yes, she's learned that Jessica obviously loved showing off her body in skimpy bikinis. I mean, she sure does. Mm. But uh, the the real prize, however, is a video uh, of Jessica's speech at the rally. And of course, Margaret's been watching this and copying Jessica's voice. I so wish, like, this... You could just see this scene. This is the thing, the sort of thing that makes you uh, want to have seen this adapted in the TV series because oh that would be hilarious. Can you imagine one of the Daniels twins playing Margot and like having their, their her montage is like her sneaking around in wigs and like oh watching God. a tape of Jessica over and over again to copy her mannerisms. Like I can already see it and I only need I it desperately. <laughs> Well, Margot thinks that just a video isn't enough. She just hasn't captured Jessica's uh, unique essence. <laughs> so she needs to get closer to the Wakefields to watch them in their setting. Brilliant. Her natural <laughs> habitat, I suppose. I and that's what she's going to do. <laughs> and then she drives to a residential seat, street and she's got an address. It's the one mm-hmm. she copied down from the application in the Valley Caterer's office. Um, but it's the right place but not yet the right time. So as usually, as usual, she reads the local paper to catch I up mean, on all the Sweet Valley and gossip and news. She is an avid patron of the Sweet Valley news. <laughs> so yeah, she's uh, she's having a read of everything. But like now that Liz's trial is over, she doesn't make front page news anymore. Mm. However, the lead story on the second page is all about the rally. So uh, yeah, she learns how much Jessica had earned for the, the local Students Against uh, Drink Driving chapter. There's like the president is quoted about how lucky they are to have someone like Jessica Wakefield at Sweet Valley High. She's an incredibly generous and enterprising person. Margot grinned. That's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. And then there's a bit about the winner who only would, wishes to be known as Black Lightning. Apparently, <laughs> Which they report on as if this is a totally normal thing. Totally normal thing. I mean, yes, this is normal behaviour from a normal man. Uh, so, <laughs> just normal men. <laughs> We're just innocent <laughs> men. Just innocent men. So, so, <laughs> under Marco's instructions, James hasn't given anyone too much information about himself as a normal innocent man. Yeah. Uh, yeah and uh, there's a picture of Jessica and James together. And uh, yeah, Margot realizes that they really look like a couple in love and says aloud, wonderfully, <laughs> either James is a great actor or Jessica Wakefield is incredibly stupid. <laughs> And then she's saying all this aloud and she says, my money's on Jessica. And then she throws her head back and laughs shrilly. Oh, Margo. <laughs> you are back on top form, Margo. Oh, she's just the best. <laughs> and then. <laughs> and then she sees her prey. Oh my God, she almost missed the sound of a door slamming because she was so busy evil laughing in her car on her own. Um. So yes, she looks up at this address that she uh, had copied down to see a woman uh, holding a bundled infant in her arms. Uh, she's hurrying along the footpath towards a small car. So Margot waits as the woman straps the baby into the car seat and uh, this woman is heading to her mailbox at the end of the driveway. And as soon as she reached to open the mailbox, Margot floored the accelerator. The smell of burning rubber filled the air and the Toyota lurched forward. Before the woman knew what had happened, her limp body lay motionless on the foot of Margot's for this woman in front of a baby <laughs> but then she reverses the car and drives over her again she also shouts I, t- I thought I'd missed something here she shouts I don't believe this oh my and, then, God. and then rolls over again 
<laughs> just sped over the corpse we're told incredible but like this, 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 like forgive the pun but the shifting gears with this woman like she's literally like maniacally laughing to herself and then she's like oh there she is better drive over her twice and just mows down this woman in front of her baby and we're told the sound of a baby's cry faded as she tears away from the scene of the crime oh and uh, she parks the car in a vacant wooden lot and then wipes her fingerprints off I mean wear gloves Marco for fuck's sake come on um, and uh, says there was no sense trying to do anything about the blood the police would figure it out that, or figure out that this was the weapon soon enough but because she'd used a fake driver's license to rent it where did that come from they'd never be able to trace it back to her so she takes off the wig and glasses and just gets the next bus back to Sweet Valley just cool as a breeze. <laughs> she's, oh, she, she gets results, you know. She's industrious and her research pays off. And, it uh, does. She doesn't, she doesn't hang around. <laughs> she does not. But we cut to Josh, mm-hmm. who's on the road. And he's convinced that, like, okay, Marco's one step ahead of him at all times. But she is going to slip up and he will get her when she does. Yeah. And she, he's 40 miles from San Diego. Uh, and he knows, like, he doesn't really have any needs once he gets there. But... Then he remembers the conductor saying she was reading that local paper, which we now know she is very attached to and has a copy of at all times. I mean, that's how you find Margot. Like if there's a girl holding a copy of the Sweet Valley News, it's probably her. But Josh has a brainwave. Well, yeah, because he reckons that uh, the answer was in front of his eyes all along. Because why would she be so bet into the Sweet Valley News uh, unless she'd been there or was planning a visit? So he decides that uh, he should have known Margot would never announce her destination in front of a train full of people unless she was trying to throw someone off course. So uh, he also starts talking aloud and says, uh, you're good, Margot, but I'm better. So I did like that. So he's changing tack now and he's going to just, I, I presume he's dramatically doing a big U-turn or something here <laughs> to now speed towards Sweet Valley. Well, we cut back to Sweet Valley at the guest house where we're told that Margot has spent the last three days on the Sweet Valley beach hoping to get a California tan in time for the Fowler wedding. Are there no pale people who use sunscreen there? Like, what the fuck? No, no. Well, guess I'd be <laughs> fucked. Um, well, I, I think we've already established that both of us would be... We wouldn't really be let in. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, we wouldn't be. <laughs> We'd be turned away at the town border. <laughs> well, we're told that light blonde streaks had begun mm. to coat the surface of her brown head. Now, and yeah. between the sun and a light bleach, it would be easy to capture the su- twins' sun-streaked blonde hair. We have been told repeatedly that she has dull black hair and would mm. become glossy black hair somehow after like a week of living on a bus. But, <laughs> Brown hair that goes blonde in the sun. No, this is not Margot's hair. This is some fucking handy retconning now because, mm. yeah, all along, Margot's whole thing has been her grey eyes and her jet black hair. And now suddenly it's brown hair that goes kind of light in the sun. And it's like, oh, she's only a bit of bleach away from that sun streaked blonde look. So it's like, well, no, wear your stupid mall wig. <laughs> because we know our <laughs> listeners have been dying for like a ridiculous like, bathroom scene where Margot's like dying her hair by herself and it doesn't turn out to be a messy orange colored like, <laughs> straw 
just disaster. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, like literally, unless she was going to shave a Wakefield's head, I didn't see how she was going to pull <laughs> off the blonde hair. But now magically her hair yeah. has turned lighter to brown, first of all, and now it's just turning blonde in the sun. So like, it's totally fine, you guys. Well, we know in this universe that when you get older, your eyes change colour, just go boreal grey. I mean, so, uh, I mean, anything's possible. These things happen, you know. So yeah, there you go. So I guess she's, yeah, she's becoming, becoming a Wakefield. Because as we know, dark hair equals evil, blonde hair equals good um, person then I guess redheads are a wild card so you know oh that's true yeah there's not that it. many of them <laughs> well uh, we've got Caroline Pierce what was her Susan didn't she have red hair they're the only I think so and like Todd's, Todd's girlfriend Patsy or his friend who was oh, a girlfriend they yes. didn't really know what to make of her so yeah the redheads are wild card oh and then if you've any like artificially coloured hair you're just oh. shunned all together oh, so gotcha. those are the rules of hair colours in this time <laughs> Well, Mrs. Palmer, the landlady, appears and tells Margot that uh, somebody rang for her. And Margot panics. Then again, no chill. She's like, what? What what could this be? Oh no, somebody's on to me. But it was, uh, what's her name? Karen D'Angelo from Mm. the catering agency. And um, she goes, what if the temporary help? can't make it for some unforeseen <laughs> reason. How weird. And, yeah. <laughs> and Mrs. Palmer is happy that Margot has a job and says, I hope this means you'll be staying in Sweet Valley for a while. Margot looked directly at the unsuspecting woman. Oh, God. I think I'll be in Sweet Valley for a long, long time. Oh my God, run Mrs. Palmer. <laughs> run. <laughs> I mean, she's been on the verge of killing you multiple times in this book, Mrs. Bowers. Honestly, so it's amazing she's still alive because Margot <laughs> will snap at any moment. <laughs> well, we cut to Fowler Crest where Lila is helping Grace I don't know, get ready for the wedding or I don't know. Um, and we get, oh, yeah. uh, we get another reminder of how gorgeous Grace is and mm-hmm. they embrace and Grace says, I'm here to stay and nothing will ever separate us again. I mean, you've proved yourself to be very mature and sensible, Grace, what with your getting engaged to <laughs> somebody um, in front of your living lover. Oh my gosh. As her lover is being escorted from the building, she's getting engaged to her ex-husband. Just, what a messy bitch. <laughs> Having also arrived and, uh, in, in Sweet Valley for the first time in 14 years and banged on about herself while <laughs> your daughter was dealing with the trauma. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, um, I'll take everything you say with a great assault, Grace. <laughs> but we cut to Calico Drive, where Alice is struggling with four bags of groceries, which she has somehow tried to carry from the car to the house by herself. And then a strange voice asks if she needs help. Yes. So Alice turns to see who this person is. And there's a girl with a strange smile who scoops two of the bags out of her arms. And Alice is like, oh, thank you. Uh, And says, oh, God, you're a lifesaver. So she goes into the house and this girl follows her and she's like you look so familiar to me and the girl just kind of stands there a slow smile spreading across her face she must be shy Alice (laughs) how does Alice not figure out why this girl is familiar because like how much difference is that bleach going to make because we know that not that you know in the near future Alice is going to be fooled and think (laughs) that this girl is one of her children oh my god but yeah so she goes into the house and then kind of turns to offer this like strange girl like a glass of water or something but she's gone and only the bags of groceries remain so Alice kind of hurries to the door but uh, no this person has disappeared just as quickly and mysteriously as she appeared so Alice just shakes her head turns back to her groceries hmm look at that mysterious lookalike of my children be oh well I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll never know, never know. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so meanwhile, Jessica arrives at Fowler Crest with James, who uh, is is impressed by the the glamour of the of the of the house and mm. the surroundings. But you know, he's he's very chill, and she loves how blasé he is about everything, apart from her. <laughs> well, there you go. So yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's he's still playing a blinder anyway, and just getting her to talk about herself all the time. So she's loving it, having a great time. And everyone uh, is, um, you know, everyone there is dressed to the nines. There's mm. loads of celebs, there's security guards. And she sees some of the Sweet Valley High gang, uh, including Bruce and Pamela. Mm. And uh, also Olivia Davidson and her boyfriend, <laughs> Harry, stood next to him. Olivia was gorgeous in her outfit, I will not mention. Her mane <laughs> of brown hair hanging loose around her shoulders. By the way, Harry gazed at her. Jessica had a pretty good idea. He agreed. So I guess she's still with that weird stalker. I guess like that was so weird though, because it was literally like I've tricked you into coming to my house, and now they're going out, and that's it. Yeah. And there was no kind of real follow, follow up. up with it. It's just like, yeah. well, they're a happy couple now. <laughs> like, are we sure? <laughs> really? <laughs> she okay? <laughs> I mean, I really, I, I'm really shocked that that was the thing they dropped. Like, we had so much tedious bollocks about mm. Bruce and Pamela going on, at, you know, for multiple books, and then Olivia is tricked into going to this boys a house <laughs> and then uh that's it i guess yeah so very odd uh even by sweet valley standards um <laughs> so billy and Stephen and nicholas and Anne hunter from hunks are there and james uh, or sorry jessica introduces them to black lightning <laughs> and Stephen demands that jessica tells him how great she looks and jessica has to admit her brother did look good but if he was trying for the best looking couple award she had bad news for him it's incredibly weird. So strange. But yeah, now that she'd found James, the best her brother and his girlfriend would ever finish was second place. <laughs> like, what? what are you talking Why are you about? thinking about your brother and his girlfriend in this context? Really like, weird. <laughs> so um, she goes off to find Lila and she leaves Stephen joking to James that basically he's going to tell her, her um, uh, all the sort of, you know, embarrassing shit about Jessica. Mm. Yeah. And James smiles broadly. <laughs> He's doing a great job. Well, Jessica finds Lila and she's stunned by how amazing Lila looks. And Lila asks about James and Jessica basically realises she knows fuck all about him. That's the thing. She kind of pauses for a second and she's like, oh yeah, that's it. Because Lila's kind of joking about how she can't wait to meet him and does he have any brothers? And Jessica kind of laughs and she's like, oh, she has no idea like if he has any brothers, any sisters or even parents. Not only did she know very little about his family, she knew very little about him at all. So she realized that every time she had asked him a question, like a personal question, he'd found some way of not answering it. Yeah. Uh, and that he was definitely happier asking questions than answering him. So she's like, oh, well, I know the most important stuff, like how sexy he is and how much he loves me. <laughs> I seriously everyone at that time just goes from zero to a hundred in seconds yeah. <laughs> uh exhibit a the bride and groom so liz is hanging out with winston and maria as the la philharmonic start tuning up because <laughs> only the best um and liz is having fun but she's glad she hasn't seen todd because she is still angry at him and hmm. uh and the fact that he put her through all that pain and expected her to hop in his car as soon as he decided it was time to forgive and forget yeah um and yes, yeah, she still does have feelings for him, but she knows they can't go back to how things were. Uh, and then she gets like weirdly sort of sentimental about the wedding. Like she gets really sort of, she finds it all really romantic in a way that seems kind of odd. I, yeah, for someone as young as she is, 
yeah. but it is I suppose it is meant to be her just kind of like yeah just you know admiring George and Grace and getting a bit kind of caught up in the romance of the whole thing um but yeah it's it is a, a bit weird for like a 16 year old to be yes. this invested in like two much older people <laughs> getting married but she's kind of um yeah she's kind of uh scanning the crowd as she does so and you know sees her friends and everyone chatting and then suddenly realizes <gasps> oh yeah shit I've just looked directly at Todd because there he is his mocha eyes <laughs> uh again she catches her gaze catches them and uh, a tentative smile spreads across her face and involuntarily she smiled back shyly no Liz no, no stay strong <laughs> Well, the wedding begins, and yet again we're told that Grace is the most beautiful woman anyone has ever seen. <laughs> I also learned Liz reads fucking bridal magazines. Oh, weird. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Liz, she'd never seen a more beautiful woman in any of the bridal magazines that she'd leafed through while dreaming about her own wedding day. I mean, I think if we want any further proof that neither of the Wakefields read Sassy magazine, <laughs> it's the fact that Liz is reading <laughs> fucking wedding magazines at the age of 16 instead. In 1993. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Look, maybe maybe some girls did that as a teen. I know I never did, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, do share, readers, if uh, if if this was uh, par for the course in your circles. Um, and the couple, you know, make their vows and they're using the same vows as they did 18 years ago. I mean, that doesn't seem very romantic to me. I'd say your marriage that ended within two years because basically, you know, emotional abuse. I know. It's very like romantic. That, that marriage was not a good time. Like, why Why would you be like wearing like the dress from it and using the vows? Like, maybe, oh. maybe let's grow and learn from things here. But no, no, we don't do that in Sweet Valley. <laughs> Liz somehow thinks without doubt it was the most romantic wedding ceremony in history. Fuck it all. <laughs> and she thinks that she'll never have a wedding because Todd was the only boy she'd <gasps> ever loved. Oh. We cut to Margot. She's working in the kitchen in her wig. Jeez. She must be roasting with that wig. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? It's 100% polyester. But, uh, she wants to be outside spying on the guests. But uh, as ever, she's a loose cannon, always on the verge of giving herself away. Because when a waitress puts an empty tray next to her, Margot was tempted to shout, fill it yourself. But the woman was out the door with a full one before she had the chance. And, <laughs> She knew it wouldn't have been a wise move anyway. She didn't want to risk her anything that would ruin her chances of going out in the lawn before she saw Elizabeth and Jessica. I mean, you think it wouldn't be a wise move, really? She's just so ready to snap. It's so funny. <laughs> so there's a lot of activity and Margot uh, is appreciating the break and she, you know, because things have calmed down a bit for the caterers and she thinks she can, you know, go outside to where the guests mm-hmm. are and pay a visit to the Wakefields. But Mr. Angelo wants to lose the this time to prep more stuff in advance. And Margot is enraged by this and just loses the rag again. Oh my God, yes. She decides she had to get outside to see Elizabeth whether her boss liked it or not. So she searches the kitchen for an escape. Spots a huge butcher knife and grabs it raises it high above Miss D'Angelo's head who's like she's standing behind her about to like stab her in the head I suppose with a giant knife <laughs> the flesh on the back of the caterer's neck called out to Margo oh my god but then suddenly she hears footsteps so she drops her arm as a waiter walks in and just tucks the knife away because she was literally half a second away from fully stabbing that woman in the back of the neck because she wouldn't let her go outside. <laughs> My notes just say, how the fuck has this bitch not been caught yet? Like, Honestly, she's just zero chill. She will murder you as soon as look at you. And it's like, it is amazing she's gotten as far as she has to be. <laughs> 
honest, but holy shit. Uh, yeah, it's like as if she knew her life depended on it. Miss D'Angelo turned around and shoved a tray full of pastries in Margot's hands. I think I need you out there more than in here now. <laughs> so like she got what she wanted anyway. Didn't even have to do a murder. Total win. <laughs> so uh, yeah, she heads out. And we cut to Liz, who's chatting with Winston and Maria about the food. And um, she's disappointed to learn she, she can't get any of these treats locally because Grace flew a chef in from France. But hmm. Winston has a solution. Oh, he he says, why don't you ask your friend to make you a doggy bag to take home? And Lila, or Elizabeth is like, what friend? Do you mean Lila? But uh, Winston says, uh, you mean you haven't noticed the redheaded waitress who's there practically every time we turn around? And again, it's like, how does nobody notice that she has the face of a Wakefield? <laughs> it's so strange. But anyway, like maybe she's got a fake nose or something else <laughs> that we just haven't heard about. <laughs> but Liz is like, I know, it's just that everyone's you know getting the royal treatment. But apparently Winston says that this girl is giving him the creeps. Uh, yeah, very strange. But that's kind of the only sort of acknowledgement that Margot was hovering, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all distracted now because the cake comes out and it's ginormous. And Liz mm. somehow, again, thinks, you know, is sighing happily about how romantic it is. And she can hardly believe how easily the dazzle and glitter of the founder's reception had raised her worries, even if it was for just one afternoon. I mean, I can hardly believe it myself, Liz, so I'm not surprised you can't. <laughs> and uh, it's dancing time with Skip Barker and the band leader on Night America. Um and it's a swing band. Mm. And she and Winston hit the dance floor. And this very much fits in with the TV show. Oh my God, you're right. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> so yeah, apparently no matter what the style, Winston adapted his lanky body not missing a beat. He twirled and dipped Elizabeth until she got dizzy, but she was having too much fun to care. So like, yeah, they, they are busting out the dance moves and that is fully what happened in the very first episode of the TV show when they inexplicably broke into a choreographed dance. It was great. <laughs> it was great. And I can picture it in this scene. Mm. So all the celebs have left before the dancing. So clearly they were just, you know, showing their faces. They're not true yeah. friends. And Liz is delighted because uh, with them gone, everyone could really let loose and have a blast. Mm. And... Uh, Everyone hits the dance floor, even the Fowlers. And next to them, we're told the bride and groom, next to Liz and Winston, the bride and groom held hands, turning and stepping to a dance Elizabeth had been, uh, knew had been popular two decades ago. So early 70s? What is it? <laughs> Are they doing the hustle? Is that what's happening? <laughs> That's what I'm imagining. The electric slide. Yeah. <laughs> well, they move across the floor in perfect time to the lively music. And Liz wonders where Todd is. Mm. We cut to Marco. Is enraged once again by the fact that she has been hired to do a catering job and people are expecting her to do it. To be a caterer, yeah, she's furious. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she can tell from her, her research that everyone seems to like Elizabeth, which meant that soon they'd like her too. When she got rid of Elizabeth, she'd really get acquainted with the group. So she's been kind of watching things unfold and seeing, uh, seeing how everyone's getting on. But uh, yeah, she... Uh, she starts thinking about how, yeah, so many people have tried to stop her, uh, her rise to the top. Here she is at a fancy society do. Uh, so, uh, yeah, she's imagining Josh, uh, like, pounding the streets of San Diego looking for her. And it makes, it makes her laugh out loud. It's like, Margo, come on. You're <laughs> literally doing your job and you're sitting there laughing evilly to yourself. Just uh, laughing maniacally as she clears plates. Like, <laughs> 
Well, I also like that she's really proud of her sort of rags to murderous riches story because <laughs> she's like, wasn't as if she got a free ride. No, she has to plan and work very hard. <laughs> she has put the work in, it's true. She has. Yeah. I'm just killed like four people now. <laughs> Again, that we know of. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you kids. Well, she has been paying attention to the important things and we actually get the first twin comparison in this book. Oh my God, you're right. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. As similar as the twins appeared, Margot knew they were actually very different. While Jessica commanded the attention of an audience, Elizabeth enjoyed listening and watching. Um, so uh, yeah, that's the, the huh. I think, the only time we have had a twin comparison from an other person practically at the very end of a book. Oh my God. Yeah, this is all all change. Hmm. <laughs> Anything could happen at this stage, lads. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, she thinks Liz is perfect and uh, Margot's pleased with her choice of, Mm. uh, I guess, um, person whose life she plans to steal. I don't know what that relationship, (laughs) how would you describe that relationship? Like life stealer and life steely? The steely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we need to to come up with a phrase because I have no idea how to describe Liz's (laughs) position in this whole situation. Well, it's the end of the shift and Mr. Angelo tells Margot she can go. And Margot's outraged yet again. <laughs> I know, it's like, she kind of says she charmed her boss before. It shouldn't be tough to do it again. And if it was, there was always the butcher knife. <laughs> oh my God, Margot, come on. Like, because she's thinking the party wasn't over. Do you have more research to do? It's like, yes, but you've also, you're undercover as a caterer and the oh. catering job is over. But she says she'd like to stay in case something comes up. And mm. uh, Mr. Angelo is pleased and says, well, you know, great. She can just yeah. check, make sure everybody has any, everything they need. And Li- Margot hurries out and uh, she can't see Liz and initially thinks, what if she left while I was inside? That a woman will be sorry she held me up. <laughs> She'll murder her good and proper. <laughs> <laughs> But then she sees Liz with Winston, a geeky guy with glasses. Uh, and uh, she's getting he's getting big laughs from other dancers and his partner. But Margot thinks he looks like a drip. And she's appalled by this and sets her sights on our fave Joker. Oh, my God. Yeah, she says, when I become Elizabeth Wakefield, I'll have to pick better dates. I hope this one isn't <laughs> planning on sticking around or I might have to get rid of him myself. <laughs> Oh God! And then you know she's great for now. Jessica, flight of fancy as she well. She is, but hers are way more fun because suddenly Margot imagined Winston handing her a dozen long-stemmed roses, and she'd pull a gun out of her purse and send a bullet through his heart. God. And then how romantic! She said sarcastically with a sadistic grin. Oh. I don't say, Jesus, Margot. <laughs> oh, she's absolutely tapped, and she's wonderful. <laughs> But as Liz and Winston leave the dance floor, Margot notices a much more handsome guy with wavy brown hair heading mm. straight forward. Mm. Let me cut to Todd's POV. And he's still a POS piece <laughs> of shit. It's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, enough was enough. Todd had been more patient than most guys would have been under these circumstances. Like, sorry now, you're the one who fucking bailed on her after she was in a terrible accident, didn't talk to her the whole time she was on trial, and then just started dating her sister that whole time. So like, what are you talking about? 
she owes you nothing. You haven't been patient at all. You're literally just jumping into the, I don't know, wave cafe with her sister (laughs) within like five minutes of that accident. Oh my God. Like he has behaved horrendously. So honestly, the nerve of him there, it was just shocking. And then he has this stupid flight of fancy about how Liz looked like an angel and he wishes he was by her side. And during the ceremony, he'd been imagining that it was him and Liz instead of George and Grace. And, um, but then he's, he's, uh, gets annoyed when he sees Liz and Winston, even though, you know, he knows that, uh, apparently Maria's out of town. Sorry. Mm. Uh, that's why she's, Winston sort of been her date. Yeah. Um, and he does think, in fact, if he had to choose, he would have selected Winston as the person to escort Elizabeth to the wedding over everyone else. But why should she have to go with anyone else? I mean, why, Todd? Why? Think about that for a while. <laughs> yeah, sit with that. Think of, you know, see what you come up with. <laughs> and then he asks her to dance. And without a word, Elizabeth nodded. Oh. It's, Damn it, Liz. <laughs> she was doing so well. I know. He thinks he wants to hold Elizabeth forever. Mm. And they dance. And Margot is pleased because everyone's noticed. And uh, uh, she hears Amy say, it looks like Sweet Valley's dream couple is back together. And then Carol, Caroline reveals um, to Margot, well, you know, they never actually broke up. Todd and Jessica just started dating. And Margot, uh, a devilish smile spreads across her face. And she thinks, naughty, naughty. <laughs> Yeah, she says, I hope my twin doesn't need to learn a lesson about keeping her hands off what's mine. <laughs> but she loves knowing that Jessica actually basically stole her twin's boyfriend. Yeah. Um, but she knows Jessica is happy with James, mm-hmm. so that'll keep her occupied for the moment. Then we cut to the dance floor, where we're told that the song went on for at least 10 minutes, but it still wasn't long enough for Todd. 10 minutes. That is a long song. Is it that um, that Taylor Swift song? Oh, the extended all too well. <laughs> I'm not a Swifty, so I don't know the names of all the songs. <laughs> but yeah, all too well, Taylor's version, isn't that it? <laughs> Ten minutes long. <laughs> Liz remembers it all too well. <laughs> well, Todd clearly has a selective memory, forgetting what an absolute prick he's been. Yeah, he sees small drops rolling down Elizabeth's cheeks. He he uh, decides they're tears of joy, but then he wonders they're tears of sadness. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know which was worse, knowing that Elizabeth definitely didn't love him anymore or not knowing either way. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you haven't actually spoken to each other yet, so you have no idea what's on her mind. <laughs> so uh, he reaches up to brush wetness from his own cheek. Because he's crying too. and uh, But he's sure that if, if she's feeling the way he's feeling, their misery will soon end. But she just says, thank you. Walks away, leaves, leaving him standing there alone. Good. You know, good for her. And I was actually kind of surprised. I was kind of like, oh, is this the reconciliation? And he doesn't actually have to properly fucking apologise. But no, good for you, Liz. Because she, you know, yeah. obviously had a moment of weakness, did her little dance. And then she's like, right, I'm out of here. <laughs> so yeah, good for you. Excellent. But Margot's not <laughs> happy with all this. <laughs> yes, she wanted to see Liz dancing with Todd some more. <laughs> Apparently there's still a lot of unresolved issues between the couple because she's overhearing all these little snippets oh, yeah. from uh, everyone else just by, you know, just wittering on about the twins at all times. Um, but yeah, so Margot hopes that they get back together. I'd like that, she said to herself. Todd looks like a really nice guy. The perfect <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> she thinks he's so tall and strong and handsome. Elizabeth and Todd belonged together. Yes. 
we do belong together. <laughs> and then she reaches under the apron and strokes the blade with a butcher knife. Now, under the apron, what? how is it attached? What's it in? Does she have a pocket under the apron? Like, where is she's it? Got, she's got a utility belt. She's ready for it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she didn't notice as the sharp edge split the skin on her thumb. Ow. We will be together, she silently told herself. Just as soon as I... Kill Elizabeth Wakefield. Oh my God. And that's the end. Sorry, that is the best final line so oh. far out of like 98 books. That is a stunning last line. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and so was this book. This was fucking great. Oh my God. So An absolute return to form. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. The voice was back. Pierre oh. was briefly back and then quickly booted for being an absolute creep. Like, yeah. wonderful. <laughs> oh, everything about it was great. And we had the hilarious uh, Black Lightning oh my uh, made his debut. Stop. Just the ridiculousness. <laughs> it's tremendous. <laughs> Well, do we have any stats and outfits after all this uh, madness? All the things. We have all the things. Okay. So the twins' uh, blondness got nine mentions. Which oh, is wow. More than usual. Much uh, more. Their, their blue green eyes got six mentions. Uh, did you include the contact lenses? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Good. No, good. <laughs> no, no, I yeah. That's, I feel like it's been bumped up so much because of Margot obsessing over them. Like, <laughs> uh, now, Todd's mocha eyes only got two mentions, but. It just felt like more because I suppose they always call them coffee coloured eyes. So yeah. the fact that they were mocha was like, ooh, we're getting spicy with it. This is something <laughs> new. Um, then people cry 13 times, which Whoa. is still a lot, but still not quite the heights of 22, which I think we got in like the arrest. Oh yeah, <laughs> so there was a lot of crying in one of them. 22 is the one to beat, but you know, 13 <laughs> is a pretty solid, uh, solid result there. Uh, then, oh my goodness, we had outfits on outfits on outfits. <gasps> uh so yes, Lila at her fancy lunch party when she was just in full back to herself kind of mode and her wonderful, like very, very Lila out- outfit um, was, of course, a white silk blouse with pearl buttons <gasps> and black jodhpur pants that Grace had brought her from Paris. Jodhpur it is the 90s. Oh like, my God. Wonderful. Uh, Grace, while is, uh, oh yeah, she's at this party too. She is wearing a red silk sleeveless dress that falls perfectly oh. on her slender frame. She's wearing a double strand of pearls that's completing the look. Because I suppose as the mom, she has to like go bigger on the pearls. <laughs> oh, of course she does. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, what else have we got? So Lila, yeah, this is when Lila goes to that fancy dinner with uh, with Grace and George where they ridiculously <laughs> get engaged and everyone is wildly overdressed. Uh-huh. Uh, so for this, Lila is wearing a close-fitting royal blue beaded dress. Uh, so she's got diamond earrings dangling prettily that are reflecting her sparkling mood. <laughs> she goes in. Uh, George is fully wearing a tuxedo. Um, yeah. And um, Grace has her hair in loose ringlets. Uh Wearing a strapless velvet gown slit up the side, exposing one perfectly toned leg. Uh, a sapphire and diamond choker hung around her neck. Like, it's what? so ridiculously over the top. It's it's like that dress that Angelina Jolie wore, I think, on the red carpet where like one leg was sticking out. It kind of sounds like yes. just, just extremely, is, I, extremely formal and fancy and like ridiculously so. <laughs> it is 
Like, why are you in? It's also an early evening dinner mm. as well. Like, I bet everybody's there just to their California casuals, and then yeah. Grace is there in her floor length evening gown. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And then, okay, from one end of the scale to the other, because we have uh, Margot. She turned up at Kelly's one night to get uh, to get James's number from the bartender and did so with some strategic flirting, but also <laughs> one of her new outfits, oh, which yeah. was <laughs> neon yellow leggings and a black tank top. <laughs> wow, she's oh, right. picked up some interesting outfits. I'll tell you, she can only shoplift so much, so I guess... <laughs> Leggings and a tank top. Leggings and a tank top. Margo, leggings are not pants. No. Um, so yes, then she's uh, she's got her, her wonderful disguise for when she uh, calls into Valley Caterers. Uh, so she is wearing her red wig, one of the many she'd gotten at the mall. Uh, it's, been, <laughs> it's been pulled back with a barrette, making her look much older. Uh, mm. And she's also wearing a straight black skirt and jacket and a white blouse, especially for the occasion. So she is oh. profesh. The of course. whole way through. Uh, apart from when she almost murders people. Uh, <laughs> then at the wedding, we get tons of outfits uh, because, yes, we have James, uh, who's there with Jessica. He looks spectacular. He's wearing a white linen jacket, black pants and a string tie. <gasps> a string tie? I like don't a, know what it is. Is a string tie just like a really skinny tie? No, I think it's like a bolo tie. A bolo tie. Isn't oh, okay. It? I like it much more now. That sounds oh. more like it. <laughs> well, I like that better. So that's what it is now. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, there's some supermodel called Tina Baker who's Ooh, there yeah. wearing a sparkling gold backless dress. Mm. Uh, Bruce is wearing a navy blue Italian suit and silk tie because, of course. Of course. Uh, Pamela is there with him. She's wearing a tailored ecru linen dress. Uh, Olivia is gorgeous in a simple yellow cotton dress. Hmm. Mm, looking good. And then Lila's bridesmaid outfit is a mauve dress with cap sleeves, which is very, not at all what's on the cover. <laughs> I was just going to say, very yeah. different from the cover very outfit. Very different. She's also wearing a strand of pearls because of course she is. Of course. And we also had, oh yes, Liz uh, at the wedding is wearing a sleeveless shell pink dress. She had bought apparently to cheer herself up. And then Jessica is wearing a sleeveless turquoise dress, but apparently it's much flashier than her sibling's flowing pink one. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's quite an array of ensembles. Are there it's any more? A lot. That was it. But it was like, it was quite the, yeah, quite the diverse bunch of outfits. We had extremely fancy red carpet uh, duds right down to some neon yellow leggings. <laughs> I mean, really, they're covering all the bases. Truly, you couldn't go wrong. <laughs> well, listeners, let us know what you thought of the wedding. You know how to find us. We are on Twitter at SVH Podcast. For now, anyway. And oh, yeah, well, we'll see. <laughs> you, you can send us an email at svhpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we are on Instagram at uh, SVH Podcast, where you had a lot to say about the wedding. Um, and... Uh, Ernest and Shallow said, okay, I'm mad as hell and I'm calling BS on this Liz was drunk nonsense. Jessica mm. clearly roofied her. And I mean, it is absolutely the same um, uh, symptoms, the right word, but the same effects. It's uh, yeah. like, she's totally blackout drunk. She gets, you know, messy very, very quickly. And then mm. she cannot remember a big chunk of the night, which does sound pretty roofy-ish. 
That's like, true. I suppose it's just the fact that like the police are just like, oh, we have, you know, your results came back and there was alcohol in your system, but not like, you know, there was also a shitload of weird drugs in your system too, because nothing else explains how magical vodka could really have that much of an effect on her. So yeah, it true. makes way more sense that she was actually drugged. Definitely. Well, Hello Ali said, this is the hill I will die on. The big mixed basic guy clearly had put something in his flask of unnamed alcohol and that's why he was pushing Jess so hard to drink it. Mm. He was trying to drug the SVH girls. I mean, yeah, that all makes way more sense considering how fucked up like both Liz and Sam were. Mm. Beck the Wolf said, uh, with the mention of that fatal night last episode, I feel duty bound to word nerds explain that fatal can have a dual meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so as well as causing death, it can also mean causing bad injury, disaster, disastrous results and used to mean caused by fate. So I'm not sure it was a totally lying title. I agree the title writer, writer was being sneaky, though. Anyone <laughs> would interpret it to mean deadly. And not in the Irish sense, I will add. Yeah, very true. Also, I liked uh, Tisa Loon's comment that uh, she's just loving the fact that Margot fully manifested a gradually deepening dimple yeah. for herself. I love that crazy bitch. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. Um, HGV said, re Sassy Magazine, while it was maybe a smidge better than other teen-centric publications, Listen to Sassy Podcast has reminded me that even our beloved Sassy was not immune to food shaming and toxic diet culture. And uh, actually, I probably should go back and look at my large collection because I think I only started reading it in the early 90s. And I think um, uh, there, I don't remember any food shaming stuff on it, but maybe there was. And also maybe, you know, there had been and they kind of grew out of it. But mm. um, in any case, like, I can't imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, fellow old people, uh, but I can't <laughs> imagine them encouraging teens to obsess about wedding dresses like Liz was doing this week. And speaking about teens, we also got some information about uh, juvenile cr- um, court cases in America. Yeah, we got a couple of emails and comments. So, yeah, it's it, I, I guess, once again, we were wrong about lots of things, yes. um, but we did have a friendly neighbourhood law nerd get in touch uh, to let us know that, at least in Canada, accused people have a right to a trial by jury when charged with serious criminal offences, mm. but except for murder and some other offences, they may choose to be tried by judge alone and youth are never tried by jury. So apparently California is kind of similar, at least for adults. Uh, yeah. And yeah, had Ned come up with any defense whatsoever uh, in this person's opinion, she would have been best off choosing trial by judge. So yeah. I guess, yeah, the lack of jury does actually kind of make sense when when it's explained properly to us by much more knowledgeable people than we are. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, we I mean, yet again, we have maligned the, the ghostwriters for something that uh, was our own ignorance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh yeah, uh, Steffi Barra said, Amy Sutton, who broke up Bruce at R.I.P. Regina, has some nerve. Oh. I mean, you could say that about her in any book. You know, it's an evergreen comment, really, isn't it? Mm. Pippi Ann Shirley uh, rem- was very troubled by Pamela's story because uh, she says in high school, and she says it was exactly the same the time these books were written. I graduated in 1993 as did I myself from school. Um, a girl transferred to her school from a, another school across town because of the harassment she was getting because she was a slush. Oh. And uh, Pippi Ann Shirley is so mad at herself because of, uh, she never stood up for her because, of course, the harassment and certainly fake gossip about her continued at our school. I learned a valuable lesson about advocacy at the expense of a girl who never, ever deserved what she got. This Pamela through thread just hits too real. Um 
Oh, and she also said, as as someone who grew up in a fundamentalist Baptist home and whose American guests were frequently the kind that would find Gilead a utopia, (sighs) I assure you that the notion of co-ed roomies was oftentimes abhorrent. Never underestimate the Puritanism in American and its influence on Canadian culture. And uh, a few... um, uh, people agreed. Uh, mm. Emma and Jean Studio said, 100% to all this, I grew up evangelical and the idea of a male roommate would have shocked my parents to the core. And it's mad because here, like I had friends who were living together as boyfriend and girlfriend uh, in a shared house and told their parents like that they had, you know, that they were just roommates uh, for, <laughs> I'd say, about two years. <laughs> they officially had separate rooms in the house, but they were like, yeah. They were living together. And uh, yeah, the parents and the parents were like super conservative Catholics, like way more conservative mm. than my parents or any of my friends, parents, other friends' parents. Uh, but they just bought it. They were like, well, obviously it's perfectly innocent. They're just roommates. Well, <laughs> they each have their own room. I think we kind of, we tend to underestimate how uh, conservative America like is in some places and very mm. much was, I suppose, in the 90s. Because, you know, I suppose the kind of American culture we were getting in the 90s was, you know, probably more progressive than it felt like here. Yeah. But at the same time, in the the wider areas, yeah, shit was mad conservative. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But we do always love uh, getting these these little insights mm. and uh, corrections from all of you, Pi Beta Alpha or not Pi Beta Alpha sisters, <laughs> uh, all of you, Pi Beta Alpha sisters or not. You all are our sisters in Sweet Valley. We're all in this together lads <laughs> uh, la- lazy leslie nope said to this sent us a screen grab of uh, of what YouTube was suggesting saying even YouTube knows these kids love them some jazz <laughs> because in the playlist that comes up for uh, Sweet Valley High episodes there's coffee jazz music and Ooh. happy autumn jazz yeah, well, there you go yeah so that's that's your related videos taken care of <laughs> and uh, Brianna McKeough sorry I hope I'm pronouncing your name properly uh, sent us a like, cliffing that uh, demands Lila's attention oh god uh, yes this <laughs> hang on let me see can I grab it oh where was it yes it was an event I think on Facebook it looks like but it is the flat face fashion show <laughs> and it took me a while it was actually when I looked at it again uh before we were we sat down to record I realized it was held by the KC it's in Kansas City so I guess it's the Kansas City mm. Frenchie Club and I realized the flat face participants must be French bulldogs. There you go. <laughs> Makes more sense. But yeah, it, it also, I didn't realise it until Anna literally said it before we went on air. So there, there we go. We were both a bit slow on the uptake you were. on that one. But wonderful nonetheless. <laughs> and on that note, listeners, we will bid you farewell. Um, and uh, of course, our aforementioned Pi Beta Alpha sisters will uh, will meet us in the clubhouse next week. Because if you cannot go two whole weeks without some uh, Sweet Valley ridiculousness in your ears, <laughs> you can sign up to our uh, exclusive, uh, but open to everybody, sorority, Pi Beta Alpha at Headstuff Plus. 
That's right. Yeah. If you head on over to headstuffpodcast.com, you can sign up to support the show. Uh, so for as little as five euro a month, you get access to all our bonus content, which is now like pretty much two seasons of mm-hmm. recaps of the Sweet Valley High TV show, which is delightful and chaotic and a great time, to be fair. Oh. Uh, you get access to everybody else's co- uh, bonus content on the network as well. And you also get discounts on our lovely merch because we have, of course, gorgeous little dairy burger tote bags. And we still have a couple of PBA jackets left, I believe. Yes. Um, but yeah, like you get a whole load of good stuff for your five euro a month. And yeah, there's like there's loads of episodes to catch up on in PBA. And we are having a great time over there. So oh if God. you can do join us, if money's tight, because fucking everything is ridiculous at the minute. Mm-hmm. Just uh, share the show, tell people about it, leave us reviews. All that kind of stuff is incredibly helpful. And we always forget to say it. We do. So, did we yeah. last ask you maybe like six months ago <laughs> so like twice a year we'll ask you to leave us a review or a rating and uh share our stupid posts on instagram or twitter or whatever and like that's all hugely helpful too so thank you very much for listening to us yes thank you all and uh yeah we'll see our pi beta alpha sisters in the clubhouse next week now i believe it is another Sam-centric episode because of course Sam is in the series at the moment he Mm. is played by a block of wood Um, (laughs) one of Margot's wigs would do a better job to be fair (laughs) oh uh, no actually next week maybe Sam will be in it but it's an episode about a war of vandalism between Sweet Valley and Big Mesa. Come oh, on, shit. don't you want to listen to oh, our discussion of that? That's going to be good. <laughs> it's got Win- Winston being kidnapped, apparently. Yeah. Some mascot gets kidnapped too. There's a lot of kidnappings. So, you know, classic Sweet Valley. <laughs> yeah, well, Private Alpha Sisters, we will see you in the clubhouse next week to discuss one big Mesa. Uh, but everybody else... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're they're really we've had some boring titles recently, but we are back with a bang. It's gonna be good with uh with the um with with the next episode because I mean after you know the morning after whatever mm. the yeah. arrest boo eh, <laughs> the verdict eh, eh. like the wedding is the worst one yet like that is just such a non-event of a title we don't even care no but. We will see you in the, in the, in the in two <laughs> Get weeks together and stop laughing. <laughs> in two weeks' time, when we find out what happens, when the people and especially the children of Sweet Valley must <gasps> beware the babysitter. Oh my God, it's so sinister! I can't wait. <laughs> it's episode ninety-nine, folks. You know what that means. We're just oh, one book away from the evil twin. Oh, God. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> so excited. I can't wait to see what she does next. I'm just, I mean, oh. <laughs> I, I'm just throwing it out there that maybe for one of the, we, you know, we're going to do two episodes devoted to the evil twin. Mm. And uh wouldn't be risking it too much to like do a drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to now that yeah. you said that. <laughs> Well, ponder that, listeners. Ponder that. <laughs> we will see you. Uh, we will see you in two weeks uh, for Beware the Babysitter. And uh, I, for one, uh, cannot wait. Oh my god! It's oh, what a title. <laughs> see you then, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. 
This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Head Stuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.